This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Forgive me for interrupting. I'm Bridger Weiniger, host of I Said No Gifts on Exactly Right. Each week, I invite my favorite people in comedy over to chat, and they always bring a gift. We're coming up on our 200th episode, and every episode is a gem. I have welcomed all kinds of great guests, including Cola Scola, Bowen Yang, Robbie Hoffman. It goes on and on and on. And you don't want to miss the 200th episode with the great Maria Bamford. What does she bring me? Find out April 25th. New episodes every Thursday. Follow I Said No Gifts wherever you get your podcasts. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hello and welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kara Clank. And I'm the other one, Lisa Traeger. Uh, We talk SVU, true crime, we have celeb guests, and at first we catch up, we chit-chat, we pretend I didn't just go to Kara's house to drop a load of laundry (laughs) in her machine. It's like we're just meeting for the first time. We've never met. Um, But your daughter's sticker sheets are out of this world. (laughs) Yeah, and a lot of those, like, girlier ones, she's not really touching. So there's, like, these pristine, beautiful sheets about princesses and cupcakes that she doesn't really fuck with because you know her. No, but uh, she was going to give me a full princess sheet, and I was like, I can't take this from a child. It was so good. (laughs) Well, because it had all the little friends, and that's what I loved. It had Lumiere, Clogsworth, or, you know, the teapot. Like, I liked... Yeah, it had all the sidekicks, all the secondary characters, yeah. And so I enjoy little stickers of... But she wanted flounder, which is cute. (laughs) Yeah, I do have very cute children, and I am leaving them to go on tour with Lisa Traeger for this podcast. 
I obviously have to plug Seamless. it every single fucking show. Here I am again. Well, it's so funny because when I listen to other podcasts, I hate when they do this. Like, I, know. I truly cannot hit fast forward fast enough. I hate but myself. Yeah, if they don't come see us, what what do they, they gotta we gotta tell you, them <laughs> yeah we gotta let the people know well people I mean like somebody just wrote come to Denver I go we were there last month and she's like how did I miss that so it's like I just try to announce every episode because I don't know how people are taking in their information about us but go to that's messed up live.com that's got all the info you need we are kicking off the tour in literally two and a half weeks from the day that this episode comes out we're gonna be in DC though that show is almost sold out so please get tickets for DC and let's finish that off, but North Carolina, Raleigh, Atlanta, um, Raleigh and Charlotte, and then Atlanta. We need you guys uh, coming on out. So I know it's summer and you think September's far away, but it's not. So come on out, see us. And then obviously there's a million other dates uh, on that website, but I'm only plugging the September ones because they're the ones coming up soonest. Um, And then, yeah, that's messeduplive.com. Check it out. What is going on, Lisa? Tell me what is the word? What well, is going on? You, I, I didn't look deep into it. I just saw the headlines. I don't know if you looked deeper. And obviously, we're in the time machine. Apologize if this is done and gone. But the Lizzo news is shocking, upsetting. Yeah, heartbreaking. It is shocking, I very upsetting. I just hope it's not real. I hope it's a cash grab. I hope it's something weird. I hope she didn't put a banana in someone's pussy and make someone else eat it. Like, I, I don't know what else to say. Like, <laughs> Yeah, that was at like a sex club, I think, in Amsterdam, like a strip sex club in Amsterdam. So maybe it was oh. just like part of what was going on. It wasn't like in the dressing room, like, oh, okay. here, pu- you okay. know, here's a banana pussy moment. This yeah. is a lesson to read the whole article. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I woke up with like an allergy attack last night and then was just like scrolling on my phone because I couldn't get back and I did a I fully read like all of the information about it. It's a little confusing when people are talking about it though because some of it is like her either tour manager or her main dancer or something who's like this religious woman and they said that she would like proselytize about God all the time and they'd be like you have to stop and she'd be like I'm never gonna stop talking about the Lord and I was like oh fuck this woman like but she also, I can't tell some of the things that Lizzo did versus this woman. Like, apparently one of the dancers was a virgin and they just became obsessed with it and talked about it all the time. And I thought that was interesting given that you and I have talked many times about how virginity is like not even real. Yeah, it's but like also fake- if this woman loves the Lord, she must love that this woman's a virgin. So drop it. Like, Yeah, but they said that the woman who loves the Lord would also make weird sexual comments. And like... I don't know, Lizzo accused the dancers of drinking before rehearsals, and, like, they, they, like one woman said that they made weight comments. I mean, I hope it's not a cash grab, but it is three of them, and they all were fired from the tour, so who knows? I guess the truth will come to light, but... Well, because on Instagram at the moment, she is just... She's, like, on vacation with her boyfriend. Like, she's having a good time. So, because if she has PR, she knew this was coming out. So, she did, did, was it a shock? Did she go on vacation, like, f- because of this? Right. There's no stories. I wonder what she's going to do. Yeah, me too. I'm sure she's crafting a response live from vacation um, right now. I, although, this will be much later, of course. Because I also, like, every abuser should be punished. But it just, it does seem like if you're a white dude, you could truly, you know, beat Madonna with a baseball bat and then win an Oscar. <laughs> so, like, 
And it's usually people of color that are punished. And so it's like, yeah. we're gonna, we're gonna punish her to the full extent of public opinion and law. Like, I know that. Like, cause be, because the dudes love it. See, women do it too. See? Yeah. Like, they love it. And that's what's worrisome. And this is like separate, but it reminds me of the same posts. But what's the name of the girl who was found lying about? Carly. Yeah. Like, for her, someone posted, like, you, let's all stop with the jokes and all this because you know she's going to be punished to the full extent of the law. Like, of all the, like, she's going to serve more time for this fake thing than most rapists do. And it's because of, like, our fervor for the case, I think. I hope not. I feel like she's having a mental health crisis. I I agree. They just give her, like, you know, um, hospitalization as an option or something. No, there's, like, a documentary on Netflix I keep avoiding because I know it's just going to make me upset, but it's how, like, um, when people are found not guilty or, like, someone accuses someone of assault, like, there's just been an influx in people getting charged for false accusations. Like, it's, like, the Johnny Depp of it all. Like, that... There's just a whole documentary about just, like, victims of sex crimes being punished when their abusers are not found guilty. And then they're put in jail and stuff. And I'm just, like, never in the mood to watch it. Yeah, that sounds rough. I actually just Googled the Sherry Papini case because I wanted to see what happened to her. Do you remember her? She was the woman that faked her own kidnapping, but she was a white blonde woman. She did, in 2022, just get sentenced to 18 months in prison. So she's been punished as well. Yeah, it's just, it seems like there's more, like, excitement to get the liars than the rapists. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. It's just, it's tough. It's all tough. I, you, we usually have a fun, more fun intros. I don't know how we went from well, let's, let, we Lizzo can steer. to Sherry. Yeah. We can, we can, we can course correct. I am catching up on, on New York. I finally finished episode two. I'm halfway through episode three. I don't know if I'm halfway. I'm, um, no, no, I finished episode three. I'm caught up. <gasps> I'm caught up. You're I started watching a little Atlanta. Up. Okay, you're caught up on Roni. What are we thinking? I mean, uh, Bryn is doing so much. I, I get she's good TV. Like, definitely when she comes to the party, like, when she arrives, I'm like, okay, this is going to be good. But she just feels like she's doing a lot. Well, um, Brian Moylan in his Vulture recap wrote something I loved where she was like, ugh, this isn't Southampton, but I guess this is, if you don't own a house in the Hamptons, you don't get to complain about what area other people's houses are in. And also Sag Harbor is beautiful. Like I've been there and it is gorgeous. And to me, it is very like quintessential Hamptons. So I don't really know what's cool and not cool, but Evan Ross It doesn't Katzen- matter. You don't he have did a like a full, Evan Ross Katz did a full slideshow of like all of the Hampton yes. shade of like quag. <laughs> I mean, you you don't have a party in quag. Who does that? Like, it's like, <laughs> what the fuck? I'm looking up Sag Harbor. Yeah, I mean, you'd still have to be a multimillionaire. Is Sag Harbor expensive? The most expensive area from May 2017 to May 2018. So for one year, it was. Yeah, it's, I mean, expensive. then probably everybody bought it up and they developed another, overdeveloped another area, you know? Like, it's, Sag Harbor is really beautiful. Um, my friend lives there and, or has a house there and she lives near Matt Lauer. I mean, you know, very rich, but also canceled. <laughs> but, you know, 
There, it's like that's an expensive place to be on the Hamptons for sure. But yeah, I agree. You should, but like, I also didn't understand what the big deal was with Jenna going to her house to sleep. That felt like such manufactured shit. And I don't like Jessel. No. I'll say that. No, Jessel is rough. Jessel's going to have like a season two full makeover, full personality <laughs> check. Like she's going to learn a lot about herself because she doesn't see herself the way she's acting. She really doesn't. I think she's going to be horrified when she watches this footage. Like, I really do. I get it. Somebody gives you something and makes you try it on and you're like, I don't love it. But you're like, oh, thank you so much. Like, I don't know. Just like say thanks and move on. Like, Or you make it about you. Like it was an ugly piece of lingerie, but you just go, oh, it didn't fit. Yeah. I don't know. It's a little loose, but I love it. Like you don't, yeah. there, I don't. But it was more than the lingerie. It wasn't about the lingerie. It was her C-section scar. It was about not fucking her husband in two years. It was about not... And then getting the most frumpy lingerie. Yeah. Like, it wasn't about the lingerie, but I think she's just, like, not in tune with her own self to see that or realize that. But also when she was, like, at an L, you never want to see that on lingerie. I'm like, what? Like, why are you saying, like, you really wanted to be an S or an XS. I'm like, nothing I own has an S or an XS on it, and I feel pretty good. So, like. Yeah, it just. I didn't like that. I was like, it's really weird to be like, like, I don't know, fat shamey on a Housewives at this juncture in 2023. Well, it's, I, I like I said, I don't think she's into, like, she married a dude she wasn't really that hot for. Like, yeah, she's just, she's in fashion, but is a fashion victim, according to Jenna Lyons. No, the Jenna <sighs> of it all, she's so mature. But even, like, I just think Bryn's maybe not smart enough because she was trying to make that connection between Jenna. Like, and it's like, your issues are different. You ditched dinner, lied, went to a different restaurant and posted photos on your social media versus Jenna just wanted to sleep in quiet and not ruin their party. Right. Like, why, why? Why are you trying to compare the two? So crazy. She she kind of has like uba humor light. We talked about this where it's just like like super hot girl comedy that's not funny. It's uncomfortable and they just are not reprimanded for it. Did I like blink or did they what's Uba's deal? Is she single? Does she have any kids? Like she's just like a single gal or what? Yeah. Like I don't know anything. I, I don't remember seeing her house. I don't remember like anything about her. Well, like, weirdly, intro. she lives in Columbus Circle, and I've never met anyone that lives in Columbus Circle. Well, they because I think they have those luxury buildings there, like by the Mondrian and stuff. Sure, it's just, and she, you know, she she says she goes to the Central Park a lot. Like, I'm sure she's close. And, like, it just seems like such a wild place to live. Yeah. That, that curved mall, that curved yes. mall is just, like, <laughs> what? where are we? I lived 20 blocks from there, and I never went into that mall. Like, I think I met my friend there once for, like, coffee and was like, where are we? Like, I and my therapist was right there. I just never... Went into that freaking place. Oh, I peed at that mall often. I would say that was <laughs> to a pee. But did you ever go walk around, eat dinner? Like I did. Well, before I moved, you know, like before you move to a place and you're just visiting, it's like you don't know anything. So I did have like a birthday dinner up there once with my family, <laughs> and then once I lived there, it's like, wait, what? What? And this I happened do? to me a lot. Like I remember I would visit friends in Brooklyn. Then when I moved, I was like, I can't believe we went to that bar, like this firefighter <laughs> bar, or whatever. Like everything makes more sense. So I have, and there was an H and M. Listen, I've been to that mall. I have. Yeah. And they have okay. a little moleskin. Um, I'm not a moleskin girl, but they have like a notebook little thing that I enjoyed. 
Like a whole store or like a kiosk? No, kiosk. That's the word I was looking uh, for that I could not figure <laughs> out. I was like that little thing, the little thing. The little thingy. All my um, niece and nephews were making fun of their dad because he got tricked by um, a kiosk to buy products and they just like made fun <laughs> of him. Wait, and so I will say another thing about Roni too is I was Googling Bryn's ethnicity only because when she couldn't get the fridge open, she goes, white people. And I go, are you not white? Because she's very like white passing to me. So I Googled it and apparently it's going to be in her storyline later. It's not that's all clear it now. says. Yes. I, I found like one of those chummy articles that's like really shitty and like not well written, but like it's just a bunch of collections of shit about her. And it's like her her ethnicity and background will be a storyline in this coming season. Yeah, but even if you're white, I think you're allowed to be like white people are insane. Yeah, I guess. It just seemed like you came, you got out of the car and you were like, I guess this is an okay part of the Hamptons. And then you can't open a modern fridge and you're like white people. It just seemed like all over the place. Like she is, all, they like, all are. I mean, that's the whole thing. And I don't know what my, what's my idea and what is Brian Moylan's, but like <laughs> they're not, a, they are archetypes or whatever. You know what I mean? Like they're coming in with over a de like 15 years of housewives to have studied. So yeah. we will never get that authenticity of just like someone who no. doesn't know. Like even Jenna leaving and they're like, that's so rude. And it's like, I just don't think it's that rude. I don't, she's, and she gave you the reason and you guys keep going, it's because you think you're better than us and this house is beneath you. And it's like, I don't think Jenna thinks that at all. She's quite quiet, has not started fights. Like, I don't understand. Yeah, yeah. But the disease Jenna Lyons has does suck. I was researching it. Oh, what is it? It's like your hair falls out, your teeth fall out, and you have scars all over your skin. That's why she's oh, always geez. wearing so much, so much clothes, and she has dentures and a wig. Not a wig, a pieces. Yeah, it's like the oh, she up has disease. dentures. I knew something was going on with her teeth. Well, she mentioned she had fake teeth. Oh, I didn't it's on know. a YouTube. I went on a deep dive, so I don't know where is what, but I watched <laughs> a lot of uh, press videos that Jenna Lyons did to promote her eyelash company because your hair falls out and false eyelashes were like too aggressive for her. And she just wanted like regular ones. And so she created a company. So what are her what's her eyelashes? I don't remember what, like, Lucy's or whatever, but the container is also fully biodegradable, recyclable and stuff. But how are they different from fake eyelashes? Are they they're individuals or, like, what? Girl, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know what to tell you. They're just, like, lighter, maybe more natural, not as intense, but easy. Uh, no, it's a strip, but, like, just light brown. So it's like you're just wearing it. lashes. You're not like, I'm wearing lashes. Yeah, you're not like, I'm a Kardashian, totally, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but she, it's funny when you wa you bang watch like all the like binge watch. No, <laughs> well, I can't remember anyone. Bang watch <laughs> is like <laughs> you, she just talks about the same skirt over and over. She talks about the same like elements in all of her because she has, she has this one incredible skirt that she wore to the Met Gala and then to Solange's wedding, and like she loves the skirt. Wow. Well, I've been following her on Instagram. Jenna is, like, intriguing. Her. Yeah, she she's is. She's intriguing. And when Sai is, like, granny, it's like, yeah, she's 20 years older than all of you. Like, yeah, she wants she's to go to bed. Yeah, she's 55, and she wants to go to bed at 10, and she has a 6 o'clock call. I get that. Like, I mean. It's, it's like they don't realize we're okay having housewives have fun. Like, we're okay with that. Like, 
we're we're happy to see you guys enjoy yourselves. You don't have to fight about who's sleeping in what room. Like you really yeah. don't. Yeah. It's like they don't understand what we want. But I just like it, and I like. I just. I like them. I'm into it. It's it is a breath of fresh air, even though they're playing archetypes. Yes. I got um one of our friends into Below Deck uh sailing yacht and they're like so into it now. They watch Below Deck original on the flight. But so we were watching Sailing Yacht and Magda, this one character, is like, uh, you know, I'm just Latina. It's the Latina energy. And then you hear the producer off stage go, Are you Latina? And she goes, No, just on the inside. Oh, wow. But she's like, it's more fun than being Polish. And it's like, sure. Magda, (laughs) Magda, baby. No, 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 no. We can't actually do that. (laughs) It was really funny. (laughs) (laughs) But she was just really sexy dancing with um, a a deck guy who used to be a cop. And then it found like, then they mentioned his boyfriend and he, her, her boyfriend and he flipped out. He's like, oh. you should have told me, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, what? I'm supposed to get on a boat and go, hi, I'm Magda. I have a boyfriend. Like, I'm allowed to dance with you. It's, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's a good season. I just love it. Uh-oh, I dropped a coin. Did you guys hear that? <laughs> should we start? Um, yeah, or let's you have get more started. Housewives? No, uh, this is good. I don't have any other feelings. Let's get going. We've got a great app for you guys today. A great interview from before the strike. Uh, hang out. We'll be right back. Hello, today's episode is called Lead, Season 10, Episode 15, taking you back to March of 09. For most years, I've been calling it (laughs) Pika. You've been calling it the Peak episode. Even though that's not even how you say it. (laughs) It is pronounced Pika, and we will get to it. But if you know, you know. And you, a lot of you probably know. But this is a good episode. It, it's really twisty and turny. Like, so we open on Dr. Gilbert Kepler, who is being sentenced. I thought this man looked familiar, so I looked him up. The name, the guy's name is Lawrence Arancio. He's been on a bunch of Law & Order original recipe. I don't think I know him from there. He also plays a Sackler on Dope Sick, so I think he must play Evil Men a lot. And then, holy shit, I keep digging, and the dude is married to Anne Dowd. They are married almost 40 years and they have three kids. Stop. Couldn't believe it. Stop. Yes. Oh my God. And then I couldn't believe, I forgot she's in this fucking episode. So it's amazing. So that's a little connect in case you haven't figured that out. Um, This guy, I think he's done a lot of theater and stuff like that as well. That's probably how him and Anne met. But he has a a decent IMDb. I just don't know what I really know him from. And um, anyway, this guy Kepler is being found guilty on four accounts of aggravated sexual abuse in the fourth degree. Anyone who's anyone is in the gallery. It's Benson, it's Stabler, it's Cragen, and then it's Graylick's little bitch face is prosecuting. They ask this man if he has anything to say. I don't feel like they really do that like there's like a guilty verdict like he they're like we find him guilty they go through all the counts guilty 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 and then like anything to say I don't really feel like they do that in the show most of the time but what the guy says is I never meant these young men any harm sure jam ah. so oh my god the, and 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 by the way we've scanned the audience to the gallery and it's like a lot of young boys and their families so we know this guy has been molesting young boys in some capacity and his lawyer is Mr. Cindy Lauper aka David Thornton aka Lionel Granger we've been this is a big episode for Lionel Granger he is popping in this app 
He asks for the pedo's bail to be extended until sentencing, and Gray looks like, um, this man has a $9 million family fortune to skip town with. And his lawyer's like, well, he, <laughs> fucking Granger's like, but he paid the half a million with his own money. He's so, like, low tempo. And the judge, who, by the way, is Barry Mordock, who we have seen in many, many famous episodes as a defense attorney, has now moved on up and is Judge Barry Mordock. He says, we'll split the baby. Kepler can stay out on bail as long as he wears an ankle monitor. Cut to Greylick outside giving a wintry press conference. She's happy about the ruling, but she's mad that his sentence is limited to um, 16 years. He violated his oath as a pediatrician. So now we're finding out this guy's a fucking pediatrician, which as someone who has a mother who's a pediatrician, and after we covered that story that you told us about, like, I don't know, 75 episodes ago, that was horrific. It's like, that's just such a trusted position in someone's life to fucking do that is so horrible. And he, she says he not only violated his oath, but he shattered the lives of four boys and their families. And it's like, if you know anything about predators, there's no way it was only four boys. Like, this guy wasn't like, yeah, just for four times, I'm gonna try this. Like, no. Lionel Granger starts to muscle through the crowd to get to the uh, uh, press conference. He serves Cragen and the detectives with a subpoena, and he goes, the NYPD knew that Kepler was sexually abusing his victims long before they did anything about it. And that, to me, that doesn't sound like our squad. But Cragen and Benson and Olivia start to scoot away from the press conference. The press starts closing in on them like, why did you allow the doctor to molest boys? Why do you love pedophiles? Like they're doing their full, like, you know, press conference thing. As they are all walking away, Greylick goes, what the hell did you people do? And it's like, get the fuck out of here, Greylick. So now... That's the credits. At the top of Act One, Daddy Cragen, Olivia, and Elliot are back at the precinct. They're walking and talking. Stabler's talking shit about Granger and Kepler. But Liv is like, could he be right? Did we take too long to bring Kepler in? Stabler's like, we played this by the book. Never, He never really wants to apologize for anything. Cragen explains that Granger's strategy, I don't really get this, but Granger's strategy is to blame the NYPD so that Kepler gets a lighter sentence on appeal. Like... Well, you did something bad, but the cops could have stopped him. So let's give him less time in jail. Like, that doesn't, I don't get the logic, but that's apparently the strat. Cragen says that the department will indemnify them, which I think means that's like, a pay big for word. their. Yeah, I think Where that's just like. Where did he learn that word? Yeah. At the police pay. academy? <laughs> I guess it's like the department will pay for them when they get personally sued. The department pays for them. But when they get to Cragen's office, a deep, scratchy voice goes, I'll be the judge of that. And it is our best friend, Robert John Burke, a.k.a. Woo! Ed Tucker from IAB. And this is him in his villain era. He is not our cool Olivia's boyfriend guy yet. We do not like him here. But also an LOL, because in the real world, yes, IAB, investigate the cops. But in this yes, twisted propaganda exactly. universe, he is evil because he's trying to hold us the cops yes. to a standard. <laughs> right. And so Cragen's like, civil suits aren't your jurisdiction, dog. And he's like, yeah, unless you guys fucked up. And Olivia's like, we nailed the guy and got a conviction. And Tucker's like, well, then why did the commissioner send me to clean up the steaming pile of crap you left at his doorstep? And Stabler goes, oh, did he give you a baggie or do you like the stench on your hands? And I would honestly watch a show that's just these two fighting. It's kind of hot. Um, the only thing that reeks around here, he said, is how you handle this case. And Tucker says, this last victim is on you. So now this is like very cinematic what happens in the rest of this act because it's Stabler talking to Tucker, 
Benson talking to Tucker, but in between, there's like grainy footage of how they handled the case going back like a few weeks. So now Stabler and Tucker are um, one-on-one with some sound recording equipment. It sounds like they're starting a podcast on toxic masculinity called What Did You Just Say to Me? And um, Tucker points out that a 14-year-old boy came in and reported Kepler and they waited three weeks to collar him, allowing him to abuse another victim. And he's like, we needed time to do a thorough investigation, says Stabler. Tucker accuses him of dragging ass. Why didn't you pick him up right away? And Stabler's like, he didn't rape any of his victims, so we didn't have any DNA. I didn't want him to lawyer up before we had time to collect evidence. And Tucker goes, what more evidence do you need? And it's like, and he goes, Justin McTee gave you Kepler on a silver platter. And it's like, Someone coming in with an ex with just an accusation is a silver platter for you. Like he is being annoying. Tucker is like, yeah, all you need is an accusation. Like clearly doesn't work in SVU. Stabler's like, dude, it would be his word versus the doctor's word. Plus, this kid Justin had falsely accused his math teacher last year and then changed his story to say it was his pediatrician who did it. We go to a grainy flashback of Justin disclosing to Benson and Stabler. They brought the teacher in. They bought the teacher a lot of takeout. There is a ton of takeout on the table (laughs) when they're talking to the teacher. It's just like extra annoying because it's like when they play fast and loose, they're in trouble. And then now when they're trying to get all the evidence, they're in trouble. So it's just like, oh, John Tucker must die. How about that? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, speaking of Tucker. His middle real name and his character's (laughs) last name. That is what I did. Speaking of another Tucker, though, this man, the teacher that they bring in, does have a Tucker Carlson haircut, and he swears he's never touched anyone. And now Tucker is in one-on-one with Olivia, his future girlfriend, who says that they interrogated the teacher for 18 hours, and he never gave in. Like, when they finally told him it was Justin, he proved that Justin's accusation was bullshit. So there are photos of the teacher getting cash at the time that Justin said he, quote-unquote, touched his junk. And the same day, he busted you for smoking weed during lunch. And Justin's like, I was scared. I would have gotten expelled. My parents would have killed me. And Olivia's like, do you know what you've done to this teacher? Like, I like get scared that there's so much on television about falsely accusing a teacher. Like you do truly like ruin a teacher's life. Like just by being like, oh, they tried to give me a bad grade, even though a ton of teachers are fucking students. So never mind. Well, yeah, just in the SVU universe, like Billy Porter's episode, he didn't do it. And then the one with Betty Gilpin, Mm -hmm. like he lied and said that Buster from Arrested Development did it and didn't. And it wasn't him, you know, like the the kids in the SVU universe are lying. (laughs) Yeah. The Melissa Joan Hart episode. Yeah. yeah, In this universe. Otherwise, believe victims. Believe victims. I believe completely believe victims. But a hundred percent, because then we have the episode, um, with the team, what's that one? The, I had sex with my sister. You know, she's having sex with the choir teacher. It, yes. Yeah, there's a lot of cases in and out, but SVU the Betty has Gilpin, given us- The Betty Gilpin episode, she's having sex. Yeah, like the, 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 the teachers are having sex with the kids for sure, but- But it was Betty Gilpin, but the kid Luca lied and said it was, you know, Buster. Yeah, but it, yeah, it is just like scary that it's like, you just don't want to, you, if you don't want to get a bad grade and you say something like that about a teacher, it could truly just like, because you can't come back from it is the thing. You know, you just can't come back from accusations. No, because like we have to take them very seriously. Yeah. Yeah. But um, also here, the kid, like, there is a, you know, because in the other one, it's like there is abuse, but they don't want, because there's another one. Is it the Jeanette McCurdy one? Yes. The Jeanette McCurdy one, she accuses a teacher, but it's not the teacher. It's, it's the boy on the soccer team. Yeah. Or lacrosse team or, or no, something. Or no, it's not right? different. There's just a lot a of kids. There's a lot of these. Yeah. 
There's a lot of these. Cut to Tucker talking to Cragen, who explains that the teacher quit the business. He couldn't even handle the whispers and the looks. He lost his career because this kid made up a story. So that's what I'm talking about. When he accused Kepler of the same crime, Tucker's like, you just let it go. And then this other kid got molested. And this is annoying because Tucker is acting like he doesn't know how it works to actually convict someone of an SVU crime. Like, Cragen spells it out. Any decent defense attorney would absolutely kill Justin's testimony because of prior lying. So he told Benson and Stabler to find another victim. And like one boy is never enough for a guy like Kepler, as I said. And so it took them three weeks to find Bradley Hicks. And then we get into a flashback where Stabler is talking to Bradley Hicks about what happened. He said the doctor molested him. He describes it. Kepler tells him it was part of his treatment. And Stabler tells Cragen that the story matches Justin's story exactly. And he gives the go-ahead to arrest him. They walk in on him mid-molestation. And he says... He looks sketchy as hell. Like, he covers everything up. And then he says, Dr. Kepler says, it's urethral milking, which I don't like the sound of that at all. And so they arrest the doctor right then and there. So then Stabler tells Tucker, another victim Should came forward. Should that be our he's... SVU tattoo? We'll get urethral milking on our wrist. <laughs> Sick. Oh, my God. To look at forever and ever. And then... Stabler tells Tucker that another victim came forward when he saw the doctor in cuffs on TV and they found that kid's DNA on a glove in Kepler's garbage, which they must have had to test a fuckload of gloves. So Tucker seems to be getting the big picture. In the next scene, Cragen goes, Tucker even apologized. And maybe this is where he starts to make a turn for the better. Like, you know, and Cragen's like, anything more on Kepler needs to go through me. Meanwhile, Munch and Finn are like, well, while you guys have been fucking around with IMDb, I pulled up IMDB. <laughs> IAB. We're keeping What am I, IMDb. you? What am I, you? Are we switching places in this episode? Okay, I can't freaky pronounce it either. Freaky Friday. No, <laughs> I think it would be fun to do a Freaky Friday with us two as the main characters. It would be funny. Yeah. Oh Sorry. My God. It is. We are very opposite, but similar. But I, it would be wild if I just had to be a mother of two and you came and had you to clean my like, apartment. You would be like at the fountain throwing the coins in, like get me or whatever it is that switches <laughs> yeah. them back. You'd be the like fortune cookies. <laughs> whatever <Yeah>. it is. <laughs> get me out of here. Okay. So meanwhile, Munch and Finn are like, well, since you guys have been fucking around with IAB, I pulled up Kepler's lawsuit against Denslow Hospital, which states that Kepler claims he knew, the hospital knew that he was molesting boys a year before the NYPD did, and they didn't stop it. And Stabler's like, well, that sounds like it's bullshit. So Benson and Stabler go talk to the hospital's attorney, and he's like, ah, his name's Coldwell. And he's like, I can't say anything. I can't talk to you. I can't comment on pending litigation. But he's like, the hospital did not knowingly let Kepler molest boys. And Liv is like, well, let's ask Kepler. And Stabler's like, lady, we can't go near that guy. And she's, Liv has her little light bulb moment and goes, no, if the hospital committed a crime, Kepler's a material witness. We can investigate that crime. It's different. So they go to Kepler's home, which is a brownstone on in the high 60s, the Upper East. And when they get there, rut row, there is blood on the threshold. The door is open. They enter the residence and they find Kepler lying on his living room floor, splatter marks everywhere, a golf club next to his body, dead as hell. Liv calls it in. Stabler calls Cragen. Later in the street, everyone's bustling. QDO Halloran is like, when can I get my Scantron going? Or whatever he calls it, the Scanomatic or something. And Olivia's like, 
give me a second, and then lives on the phone getting him, trying to get Melinda there as quick as possible, but there's been a crane collapse in the Bronx, and so Melinda's up to her elbows and bodies. And then Munch says, I heard <laughs> Dr. Kepler came wild. down with a case of justice prevails. I've and- never caught that. A crane what? collapse, so Melinda's up to her elbows and bodies. Like, <laughs> I never caught that in this episode that there was a crane collapse. So I, I just like that. I just assumed that there would be a lot of casualties and she's busy. Um, but because uh, she's not exactly going to places where there's a lot of living people, you know? Yes. So she's two hours out, they say. So then we get Munch's cute little line and then Finn goes more like someone saved the state a couple million bucks and a prison cell and then Cragen says we gotta wait on Greylick but hold on one goddamn second Finn goes that's not Greylick who comes striding towards them alongside Daddy Cragen looking gorgeous as ever but Alexandra Cabot herself back from witness protection in Wisconsin where she was forced to be called Emily Olivia looks shocked so does Stabler what a way to end an act so now Top of act two, as Cabot is checking out Kepler's bashed-in head, she lets the detectives know what the new that the new administration called Greylick back to the Justice Department. So this is early 09, which I guess means Obama wanted Greylick back on his side. I can't imagine it, but but this is <laughs> Greylick's last episode. She's never seen from again after this press conference on the steps about Dr. Kepler, she's out. Hooray, she's gone. Benson and Stabler are kind of grilling Alex like, babe, when did you get to town? I mean, like, we didn't know anything about this. And Cabin is just kind of like scanning the room and getting warmed back up to the whole like being in the room with a dead body thing. Like she's been off of it for a little while. And she says, I got all your messages. I would go to call you and then I would remember. And Stabler's like, remember what? That we were there when you got attempted blown up and Benson is like and we heard that Velez died in prison Connors got extradited to Ireland so you've been out of witness protection for three years like not a Christmas card not a not a not a text but nothing. that's annoying she could still be scared or nervous there was a lot there was car explosions the fucking like gangs yeah. were after her like to make it about them of like why didn't you text and it's like um I don't know PTSD bitch yeah, like yeah, fuck yeah. off yeah I think they were just like Wait, or is this after the... Oh, yeah. Because when does she go to the Congo? Later. Later. Yeah, yeah. This is a season 10. She's in... She's back in and out right now. Temporary and stuff. Like, But uh, she does a bunch more than the Congo. So... Anyway, they're having this awkward reunion. O'Halloran interrupts them and tells them that the golf club is what killed the guy. Even though nine shots were fired, the perp sucked so bad at aiming, only one bullet hit him, and it hit him in the knee. So on the scan, it's called the scan station. I was calling it a scantron. Uh, <laughs> on the where you take your SAT on the scan station, which is like this thing that scans the whole room and shows you all the trajectories of all the bullets. It makes a diagram for you so you can see everything. You can see that one shot immobilized him, but the perp ran out of ammo and finished the job with the golf club. The perp left a pair of gloves there as well. Cabot calls this overkill, which is kind of like pun intended because... He seemed very dead, like his brain was bashed in extra hard. And Stabler also says, it must have been someone he knew there was no forced entry. Could have been one of the boys from the trial or one of their family members. So then Liv starts going, 
oh, we're just going to find DNA on that glove and then compare it to the victims. And Cabot's like, we actually can't do that. And she's like, why? We have all their DNA. And she's like, because they gave their DNA as victims of sexual assault, which Olivia knows that you can't do. Because remember when we did Tangled Strands of Justice with Orfe, who she was playing the detective who used rape victims' DNA to like bust them for larceny and petty crimes. So that DNA is sealed. We're going to have to ask the family's permission. And Cragen says, go easy. If these parents run to the press about this, we're fucked. So now we're talking to Justin's mom who says that she and Justin went to Staten Island to her sister's house to toast the verdict the night before. They stayed the night because she got too buzzed and drunk from toasting her son's pediatrician and molester going to jail. And the mom's like, you're barking up the wrong tree. We didn't want his life. We wanted his money. We're not going to get shit from Denslow Hospital because we all signed arbitration papers. Um, Some suit told them that they had to sign these papers or Kepler couldn't treat their kids anymore. And that they thought he was a good doctor and they trusted him, so they all signed. And how fucking dark is that? This hospital knew probably that this guy was doing this shit and got these parents to all sign away their rights before it blew up. Um, My thing is like, what is it? What's in it for the hospital? Just fire him. I know. what. what, He's that good of a pediatrician? I just don't get... I don't get it. I mean, this happens constantly. The Catholic Church, everyone yeah, it's like, is protecting molesters. Why, why does the Catholic Church do it? It's because you take responsibility if you fire him, then you're open to lawsuits and litigation, I think. I think. I don't know. That's why I'm just like spitballing. But yeah, it's fucked up. I mean, this is literally a Catholic Church thing where they're just like, oh, let's just hide it instead of like trying to actually get rid of the problem. So then the mom tells them about Lillian Seifeld, whose name is almost Seinfeld, mi- minus one letter, Kepler's head nurse for years. She told the parents not to sign, but then she disappeared. So Munch tracks her down, and if it isn't, Anne fucking Dowd, okay? And I wonder if she got the script and was like, my husband would make an amazing pedophile. Like, how are they both cast? I need to know. Why won't the casting director of this show come on our show? I really want to know how this husband and wife duo got uh, wrapped up in this episode together. Damn, they've been married since 1984. Yeah, yeah, 40 years almost. And they they have three kids. It's cute. So Munch goes to talk to her and she's like, and Munch goes, why haven't we heard about you? And she's like, I guess they deleted the records. I don't know if they see me talking to you. And it's like, if who sees me? So now we cut to Lillian in a wooden blinds room. And I call it an interview room. It's a wooden blinds room. And she's spilling it to Stabler that she said that the guys told her that they would take away her job and her pension and they show her a photo of the Denslow lawyer Coldwell and she goes, yes, that's the guy who threatened me. And she says she should have done more. And she said, normally there's always a nurse chaperone when he does young girls, which I actually was just offered yesterday when I went to the dermatologist. I was offered for a chaperone to come in for a female doctor to come look at my moles. And I was like, I'm okay. I don't think if you do anything, I think I'm, she was like half my size. I was like, I think I can fight my way out of this. Um, But I was offered a chaperone as an adult. So they're still doing that, which is good. But it was busy that day, she said, and she walked into the wrong room and she saw Kepler with Dale Overton, who was one of the boys from the trial. She saw Kepler molesting him and they're like, and you just let it go? You didn't do anything? And she's like, no, I went to HR. I reported it. Coldwell, the lawyer brought me in and said the hospital takes this kind of thing very seriously, but that it was her word against Kepler's. She said, 
Coldwell believed her but didn't think a jury would. She threatened to come to the cops, but Coldwell said, I'll take away your job and your health insurance, and her husband is sick. So she didn't know what to do. And Ann Dowd is such a good actress. You really feel for her. You're like, oh my God, rock in a hard place. But also, if you listen to Dr. Death, season two, I there, there was this whole fucking thing about a nurse who reported this doctor a million times and no one did anything about it. Like, I don't think that hospitals take what nurses say about doctors seriously all the time. And my mother-in-law is a nurse and she's told me like, you know, you can get some doctors that just really look down on nurses and don't see them as like people that are partners in healthcare with them. And so sometimes nurses are reporting doctors just like out of spite because they're dicks. But a lot of times they're doing bad things. And the Dr. Death podcasts really show you how doctors are so, like, immune from checks and balances or and, like, like getting in trouble. Like, I don't even know what, how, how to verbalize this, but, like... Well, they all have God complexes, and it seems like the hospital reiterates it to them, like, confirms yeah, it. Yeah, like, in the first season of Dr. Death, this guy was fucking killing people. And in the second season, he was telling people they had cancer when they didn't to get more money. Like, it, it's fucked. And, like, people are telling on them and there are not investigations. Or the investigations are internal. The way that colleges hide investigations and make it all internal and don't involve law enforcement. Well, anyway, this is a little bit. A lot of people have been talking to me about retrieval. Were you one of those people? Have you heard is of it? Is it a movie? Yes. No, it's not. It's a podcast um, series, but multiple people have brought it up to me. It was an IVF clinic. And um, after a retrieve or egg, egg freezing, whatever. After yeah, egg yeah. retrievals, IVF, I don't know yes, which yes. one. Like um, all these women were complaining about pain and they were like, shut up, women. But what was happening was one of the nurses was addicted to fentanyl, was taking all their pain meds and switching it out with saline. So all these women in horrific pain were just getting saline, crying for help. And everyone's like, shut up. And that's what Dr. Death in season one did as well. He was an anesthesiologist. Um, oh, I'm sorry. That's what Dear John did in Dirty yeah, John. Yeah. Dirty John, he was an anesthesiologist with a drug problem and he would just take the drugs and not give them to the patients and people would just be screaming about their pain. So fucked up. Like, so fucked up. So, okay. So, poor Lillian. <laughs> I think they we, listen. <laughs> <laughs> poor Lillian, we can see, is between a rock and a hard place with this whole thing. And she didn't know what to do. Cabot and Cragen, we pull out to see Cabot and Cragen are watching through the fishbowl. And Cabot's like, that hospital is basically the Catholic Church. They don't care about protecting the boys. They're just plugging up the leaks. And they can't get Coldwell on on obstruction because as the hospital's attorney, Kepler is also his client. And Cabot says they have him on one count of obstruction for buying Lillian's silence. And that's just for starters. So she does think she can make a case. But Finn updates the gang that regarding Kepler's murder, they've got nothing. All the victims and the family members have airtight alibis. Kepler died at approximately 1 a.m. and Warner found traces of gold plating in his head wounds. CSU also found skin cells in the gloves. Warner got a bunch of hits, but only one of them is not in jail. Clive Linwood on Fifth Avenue, who also has a gun. 
It's at this point that we should know why are there so many hits on these skin cells? It's because of the way that they're doing this DNA test. So they go to the man's home, Clive Linwood, and a young guy opens the door and you can tell he might be a little bit developmentally disabled because he's like, hi, my name's Jeff. Are you the police? Like he just seems younger than he is. Then he presents. And the guy playing Jeff is John Gallagher Jr., who you might recognize from the newsroom. He's also a Broadway baby. He was an American idiot and won a Tony for Spring Awakening very, very talented. And Benson and Stabler tell them they have a a search warrant for the place and he goes, want me to help you? So clearly something's up. He shows them the gun box, but it's empty and he's like, "Uh uh-oh. And then he tells them that the gun is gold. Ding, ding, ding. The gold plating we just heard about, that's where it might have come from. Then the parents come home and the dad is played by Frederick Lane or Lene, I don't know how you say this name. Very familiar face, yeah. He has like 150 credits, including Dexter Newblood and Eyes of Tammy Faye, which are two things I've watched recently, but he has over 150 credits. So he's been in a ton of stuff. And he's like, where's my gun? And they immediately start to arrest him. He has no clue who he may have murdered. They're like, he's like, you're arrested for murder. And he's like, of who? And Jeff, the son is saying, please don't take my dad to jail. Please don't take my dad to jail over and over. And that's the end of act two. So... Act three, Clive Linwood's lawyer is Lorna Scary, who we talked about recently, and she is scary. She goes to Alex Cabot. Appeals got so boring, you came back for more sexcapades. And sexcapades is a wild way to think of SVU and the kind of crimes they have to deal with. Like, what if that was also in the running along with sex police for the name of this show originally? They're like, well, we've got sex police, sexcapades, or special victims unit. But... I'm glad they settled on what they settled on. Lorna is baiting Cabot and is like, you've lost your touch. And it's like, how dare you? Alex Cabot will wipe the floor with you. Not only is this guy's handgun missing, but his DNA was found at the scene. And they have the DNA because of a menacing charge. So then he tells them the whole story about the menacing charge. And he's not relatable at all, but he thinks he is. He's like, I'm headed back from the Hamptons, right? I get pulled over. I get asked to take a sobriety test. I made a joke to the trooper about him having something against guys who drive Maseratis. He got pissy and Stabler goes, maybe because of the point two you blew into the breathalyzer, which that is drunk. Like, I feel like that's super wasted. Like, you usually hear of high ones and like point two, that's fucked. So Clive says, because he had a Swiss army knife in the console, the trooper said that he would up the DUI to menacing because he had a weapon. And Cabot asks, how did your DNA get into Kepler's brownstone? And Scary's like, here's the fun part. We don't have to explain shit. See you in court. And she's like, deuces, we're out. And then at arraignment, Cabot is reunited with her best friend, Judge Lena Petrovsky. Scary argues the prosecution has no evidence. And Petrovsky's like, what about the DNA? Scary goes, there are 13 genetic markers that need to be matched in order that's the standard. This man was ID'd with only five and a half. And then Cabot's like, there's a one in a million chance that it could be someone else. And then Scary goes, if you compare those markers to the people in the New York database, the number goes down to one in three. And I'm like, the math is not mathing for me. I don't understand how that's the truth. Like, if it's five and a half markers then and it's one in a million, then it's one in a million. But Scary also, she goes, it could be that guy who killed him. It could be that guy. Or it could be that guy who's actually 
actually on the FBI DNA advisory board and he will back me up. And so she brings in the big guns from the FBI and Cabot is like, Petrovsky, babe, my friend. The courts have never ruled against law enforcement on this issue. And Petrovsky's like, don't threaten me with a good time. And she throws the DNA match out. She goes, there's a first time for everything. And then she dismisses the charges because now without the DNA, there's nothing. And then she gives the come here finger to Cabot. She goes, I'm glad you're back, Alexandra. Try to show up prepared next time. Burn. A very, very sick burn from Petrosky. Liv and Elliot are now trying to find something else to link Linwood to Kepler. To me, it doesn't seem like it would be that difficult to do, but I'll get into that when we find out what the link is. They're talking to O'Halloran, who shows them a fingerprint that was literally etched into the bullet from being heated up when fired. And this shows that the gunman didn't wear gloves to load the gun, but also that print's not in the system, so we're kind of at a dead end. O'Halloran also put his own print on a bullet, but that one didn't etch. And he go, they're like, why didn't your print show up? And he goes, because I'm a vegetarian. And I'm like, ooh, go on. He says, fingerprints are chemical secretions. We secrete what we eat. His prints are less likely to corrode metal because his diet is lower in sodium. And I was like, well, that knocked me right off my high horse because I eat plenty of sodium. Like I am, cheese is replacing meat for me. I'm sodium to the highest degree. And I am definitely getting my fingerprints etched into a bullet. So this guy, they said, either eats too much salt or he works around it. Liv has another light bulb moment. Thank God she works on this squad. She's like, oh, like at a fast food restaurant? Jeff, the son of Clive, was wearing a Happy Burger uniform when we went to search the Linwood home. That's why Clive popped on the DNA. He shares half his DNA with his son. Cut to Elliot leading Jeff into an interview room. He's drinking a soda. He's jazzed because he got to ride in a police car. Then he's done with his soda. Liv's like, let me take that for you. Obviously doing the old DNA yeah, trickery. But she touches it with her full hands. Like I was watching her. She truly grabs it with two hands. All her prints are on it. Like usually they're a little more careful. I know, she like from the bottom. It. I saw that too, but also her prints are in the system and can be easily like knocked out, I guess. I don't know. Excluded is what I meant to say. So, but I did I did clock that as well. I was like, Liv, hold it from the bottom. What's going on? She, um, this guy is in a great mood. He got to ride in a cop car. He's hanging out. He's loving it. He's like, am I in trouble? Are you guys going to take my prints? And when they ask about the gun, he said, I'm not supposed to touch it. It's not a toy, but that his dad had taken him to the range to learn how to shoot before. Meanwhile, O'Halloran is like right in the next room, taking, like sweeping the powder over the print and taking masking tape to get it off the cup and like we're we're working immediate results here from O'Halloran. They're in the next room. So O'Halloran matches the print. It's good to go. It's this guy's print. Liv comes into the room and she kind of like lightly Mirandizes Jeff. She's like, hey Jeff, you know, you don't have to talk to us if you don't want to. And like, we could use something that you say against you and you could get a lawyer if you want. And he's like, it's okay. I like talking to you. You're pretty. Like, obviously she bewitches everyone. And he asks, she asks him, do you know Dr. Kepler? He shakes his head no, but he won't make eye contact. He's clearly lying. And he finally admits that he went to Kepler when he was younger, but then he wanted to go to a different doctor. And they're like, why? And he's like, because we learned in school that no one is supposed to touch you down there. Kepler told him it was okay because he was a doctor. Jeff saw the verdict on TV and was mad because Kepler told him a lie. So I guess I'm wondering, like, the Linwood family was never run through the people that would possibly know Kepler. Like, you would obviously know this guy was a patient, that this kid was a patient. So, I don't know. It's like, I don't know why they have to, like, connect it this way. It seems pretty obvious if you've done the 
the research. And also, why did these parents not bring him forward as a victim to also, like, add to this guy's sentence? Like, it would be more counts, well, I wonder whatever. if he never told the parents because the doctor said, oh, I'm just a doctor. Like, I wonder if he didn't know anything was even wrong. I, I see what you're saying, but they make it seem very soon like the mom knew about the abuse because, like, she hires Granger. You know, I don't know, but I don't know. Jeff saw the verdict on TV. It made him mad because Kepler lied to him. He took his dad's gun to Kepler's house and asked him why he lied. Kepler tried to hit him with a golf club, but he hit the um, the gun and a bullet, the bullet, the gun went off and the bullet went into his knee and he fell. Then this guy, Kepler, calls Jeff stupid. And he, Jeff says, that's a bad name and that's what the bullies call me. So he shot and shot and shot, but none of the bullets hit him. And then Kepler called him an idiot and that since there were no bullets left, he just started hitting him with the gun over and over again. Then he said the gun got all red and slippery, so he moved the golf to the golf club, and Kepler stopped calling him names then. So he basically just confesses to the whole crime, and he says, Dad says if a bully hurts me, I gotta fight back and kill the bastard. Maybe not the best thing to tell. Cragen is in the window talking, you know, is through the looking glass. Craigan <laughs> uh, is on the other side with Cabot of the window. Um, and he's like, are you at all concerned that he's slow? And that's his word, not mine. And the defense is, pro uh, she goes, that's the defense's problem, not mine. Arrest him. And it's like, that's pretty cold for Alex. So as Alex walks out into the bullpen, she sees Lionel Granger is back and this time with Jeff's mom. And Cabot's like, uh, this man represents your son's abuser. That's a huge conflict of interest. And Granger's like, not when the abuser is dead and I have a waiver from the estate. Gross. Uh, this guy, I mean, Granger, I always knew he was like high powered, but I didn't realize he was like so filthy. And she's like, did she hire you because you know all Kepler's filthy little secrets? And it's like, who better to rep your son than the person who, that's what Granger says. He goes, who better to rep her son than the person who knows everything about the man that he killed? And so Jeff comes out and the mom hugs him and says, I'm not mad. What did you tell them? And he goes, the truth, just like you always say. And it's like, I will not be telling my kids to tell the cops anything. Like, in the words of Luca, silencio Bruno, baby. These kids will not speak when they're at the cops. It's like, just call me, do not talk. So she says the cops should have her have called her, but baby boy is 19 and the law doesn't require that. So he gets arrested for second-degree murder. Granger says he's suffering from rape trauma syndrome and Cabot goes, okay, then let our shrink take a crack at him. Now, Huang is talking to Jeff. He asks Jeff, do you have any trouble sleeping? And Jeff goes, do I get in trouble when I'm sleeping? That's silly. So he doesn't, he's not processing like questions and sentences the way that like, you know, a normal 19-year-old would be doing. He asks if Jeff has nightmares about Kepler. And he says, sometimes he does. He looks like a monster. He's really scary. Huang asks Jeff, can you read my business card? And he freaks out when he sees that Huang is a doctor and he tries to leave the room. He's like, shoves Huang back. Huang hits his head on the table. Stabler rushes in to pin him against a wall, which is a classic Stabler. They should like call that that in WWE. Like, then he Stablers him against the ropes. And Jeff keeps saying, doctors are bad over and over and over again. Again, Huang is on the ground looking kind of just like stunned and out of it. But at the top of Act 4, Huang is like, I didn't black out. I'm good to go. I'm fine. Release me. Like, let's the paramedics go. He thinks there's something really wrong with Jeff. He's like, he is like a child. He can't process a, single, a simple sentence. Cabot's like, he has a job. He can read. He takes care of himself. Um, and this is, you know, kind of reminiscent to the third man where this guy had a job. He couldn't read, but he did sort of 
somehow managed to take care of himself. The Dennis O'Hare character in that, like he would just eat at a diner every day. Um, and he didn't have rich parents the way that this kid does. So he probably gets a little bit more help. And anyway, she insists that he's competent, but Huang argues he can't hang- handle his emotions or his temper. He's an eight-year-old in a man's body, and I bet his IQ is borderline. And she goes, Cabot says, can you definitively say that I cannot try him because he's R-word? Here we go again with the R-word. And then Huang goes, no, I cannot definitively say that. So cut to court. Jeff is on the stand. Granger is questioning him. He says that the detectives were not nice to him, that they lied, that they would punish him, and that the man touched him. And he goes, where did the man touch you? And he goes, on the shoulder. And um, that's why he told them that he killed Dr. Kepler. Now it's Cabot's turn. And she goes, do you know a boy named Chad Smith? And Jeff's like, that's clearly a bully that Jeff beat up. And Jeff's like, I don't want to talk about him. Like, uh, he was a bully and whatever. And then Cabot's like, well, you broke his nose and two of his ribs. And then you said that he hit you first, which was a lie. And Jeff's like, why are you being so mean to me? Stop yelling at me. I'm not a liar. And then as the judge finally sustains, like, a quick recess or an objection, he just bites right into a number two pencil that he's holding like it's a goddamn Twizzler. Like, Jeff just snacks away on a number two pencil. And And no one reacts. Huang is the only, I wrote, Huang is the only one who clocks it somehow. Like, he's the only one that's like, what? Like, everyone watches and they're just like, business as usual, he's chomping on a pencil. It is so funny. Yeah, it's crazy. So in Judge's Chambers with Judge Barry Mordock, it's Granger and Alex. And Granger wants Alex disciplined for badgering Jeff and says his clients are furious. And she goes, Jeff is your client, not the parents. And Granger should be disqualified as counsel. And he argues he's giving Jeff a good defense. And Mordock pipes in like, your client has as much business being on that stand as I do riding in a rodeo. Only a horse's ass would ignore his diminished mental capacity. (laughs) And I love that. And Granger goes, Judge, you're out of line. And it's like, do you even say that to a judge? And he goes, you're a disgrace to the defense bar, Granger. And if you don't get your shit together, I'll grant her motion and report your ass. Get out. So Granger leaves and he's like, you stay, Alex. And then she and Mordock have this conversation about the morals of all of this since the guy clearly has some kind of developmental delay. And Alex argues that this isn't his constitutional law class. This is the real world. And he's like, I know you've seen a lot more of the real world than anyone. And I'm glad you're back, but you can't lose sight of why you became a lawyer. And the Cabot, I remember, wouldn't railroad this poor young man. And Cabot looks shook. He has touched her and reached her in a place that was maybe, she thought she left in Wisconsin. At Huang's office, Cabot apologizes to Huang, basically. She's like, you were right, I was out for blood. Huang's like, listen, I was just about to call you. I think I've got it. And the sad thing is, this all could have been prevented. I know what's wrong with Jeff. We got to go talk to his mother. So they go to the Linwood home. She's about to shut the door in their faces, but Huang goes, please, Mrs. Linwood. And they just let, she just lets them in. Like he just goes, please, Mrs. Linwood. And then it's like, all right, come on in. Would you like a canapé? It's very funny. So then when asked if Jeff hit all his developmental milestones as a baby, she said, yes, he was totally fine until he was five. Then he had a seizure, his brain swelled, and we thought he was going to die. When he finally recovered, he was never the same. Kepler said it was a miracle that he survived. And it's like, fuck, this pediatrician knew that Jeff had an intellectual disability and still molested him? Like, that's like, now we're getting that picture, you know? That's like fucking horrible. And Kepler told them it was epilepsy. And Huang says, well, Kepler missed Jeffrey's pica. 
We've been talking about Pika for so many episodes. This is finally years. the episode. Episodes, lives, years. I've been talking yes. about Pika, but calling it Pika for over a decade. Yeah. So this Pika. has been the episode that has lived within my heart and spirit and mind, waiting for someone to nibble on a medal. Like, I have just been wanting to diagnose in the real world. I love this episode. This shows just, like, how lucky we were to have, you know, B.D. Wong be the voice of Neil Bear, a medical professional, and give us knowledge that can last a lifetime. So, Kara, continue. Yes. I honestly thought in my mind, too, that PICA was um, a acronym, but it's not. It is just PICA, P-I-C-A. And it's just like, PICA is a rare neurological disease where people compulsively swallow non-food items. So like Jeffrey chewing on the pencil in court, he just puts, he's just put tons of shit in his mouth his whole life. And his mom, like confirms that. Well, and, and she, if this was just a few years later, he could have been on a hit show on TLC, I, Weir, I Eat Weird Things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my Strange Addiction. You know, it sucks I wonder if that a lot of those on people it. have pica. They might. A hundred percent. The moment you just read the definition, they're eating couch cushions. They yeah. have fucking pica. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, I mean, I'm not a doctor. Correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> So they're like, they asked the mom, did you keep anything? And of course, somehow she kept all the toy cars that her son licked the paint off of when he was five. And uh, apparently the dad brought him back a bunch of cars from a business trip and he just stripped them clear of all of their paint in two days because he said it tasted like sour candy. So Clive comes in um, and him and his wife start arguing. He's like, did you let them in? And blah, blah, blah. And then Clive's like, so he's a little slow. And the wife is like, wake up. He's developing mentally delayed. He's never going to be the perfect child you always wanted. And Huang explains, he wasn't born this way and I can prove it. Cut to Huang with a PowerPoint, baby. Did all of you sing he Lady Gaga in your head or was that just me? <laughs> baby, I was... Oh, the one that she allegedly copied from Madonna. Anyway, cut to Huang with the PowerPoint, baby. He ordered an MRI, which was done in lightning record time because yesterday was trial and right now he has an MRI in front of him. So they obviously threw that kid in an MRI machine very quickly. He already has the results. Uh, the kid ate the pencil yesterday and there are red spots on his brain that's scanned that indicate missing gray matter. Chronic lead poisoning stopped his brain from developing. Most kids get lead poisoning from like decaying paint. Like my kids get tested at the doctor for or lead because there are trace amounts of lead in water and they just need to make sure like even at my kids daycare there's a sign up that's like we test our water for lead and stuff because lead poisoning is really dangerous for children because um, their brains are developing I doubt it's great for adults but uh, it's not good for kids and so most kids get it from decaying paint but with kids with pica are at a higher risk because of like the objects that they're putting in their mouth and the lead buildup probably caused his seizure high levels of lead are also linked to violent behavior in adults Alex tells us. So his emotional and decision-making center of the brain is badly damaged, which explains why he reacts so violently when he gets bullied or, you know, when someone calls him names. So Kepler never tested Jeff for lead. He was very busy being an evil pedophile. And so the dad is like, that bastard victimized my son twice. So, I mean, honestly, and Dowd's husband, not good. Um, in jail, they bring Jeff out to see his parents and he seems cheerful, but he's no, like, I don't oh. like it here. What? 
No, I forgot that she was married to the pedophile because I was like, no, that they're not married. Her, she was just <laughs> the secretary, you know. But then oh, yeah. I remembered it was her real life husband, and yeah, I yeah, interrupted yeah, yeah, for yeah. no reason, which I don't want to actually imply is yeah. a pedophile. But also, um, we forget, you know, the pedophilia is time consuming. It does make you a worse doctor. Yeah, hiding what you're doing, like falsifying records. I'm sure doing shit like that. So in jail, they bring Jeff out to see his parents. He seems cheerful, but he tells them he does not like it there. The people are not nice. Clive is crying, and he's like, why are you crying, Dad? And he's like, gives him a hug, and he says, I didn't help you enough, and I'm sorry. But it's like, the dad didn't really do anything. It's like, if your pediatrician didn't check for lead, you gave him the—I guess he gave him the cars he feels guilty. He was in denial. Yeah. Yeah. You can't get help for someone if you're in denial of what's going on with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jeff said, I did a bad thing. And Granger goes, so I guess we're not going back to trial. And Cabot goes, oh, yes, we are. Boom, 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 boom. boom. So on the stand now is an old-ass white man who is the president and CEO of Rowan Toys Incorporated. And the guy says... He's excited because he's there as an expert witness about toys. And he's like, look at me. I'm the head of toys. And the guy says that the toys that Jeff has, they they show him the old licked off toys. And he says, they haven't been made with lead paint since the late 70s. And they're like, what about the ones that are made overseas? And he goes, even those get checked. And we, you know, we do, we have precautions. Like they would never be made with lead paint. Uh Uh-oh, bitch. The crime lab tested them and found that the paint on them is 50% lead. Toy Man looks shocked. Then he looks pissed. And he realizes that he thought he was being brought in as expert witness, but really they want to bust him for endangering children in a court of law on the record. She slaps down emails between Rowan and the Chinese manufacturer, which, pr- I don't know how she got those, which prove that he knowingly poisoned children for decades. This is fucked. He, tried to st- he tries to storm out, but Benson and Sabler cuff his ass and arrest him for reckless endangerment. He goes, I'll have your ass for this to Cabot. And she goes, I already have yours and it's on the record. She's so good. At verdict time, Jeff says he's sorry and he didn't mean to hurt anyone. Mordock finds him not... They obviously asked for a bench trial. There's no jury. Mordock files him finds him not guilty by reason of mental defect. Um, And per the plea agreement, he'll be hospitalized until he's no longer a threat to himself or others. He says goodbye to his parents. Cabot says the judge is going to review his progress in a month. I don't really think we need to get him out in a month if he's like gets so mad that he murders people. We probably have to work on him for a little bit longer, but he never is good. He doesn't even have to go back and live with his parents. When he gets out, Rowan Toys has agreed to support Jeff financially for the rest of his life. So in the end, Alex did the right thing. She tells uh, Olivia and Stabler that Rowan offered the deal to pay for Jeff for the rest of his life so that Cabot wouldn't charge him. But then he signed it and Cabot was like, psych, and told him to shove it. And so he's being charged anyway, and he's probably going to jail or at least paying a billion-dollar class action suit. And then they go, you really are back, aren't you, Olivia says. And she says that to Cabot. And then that is Dick Wolf, my babies. A twisty one, a good one, a pica episode, a very pica episode. Yes, a very pica episode. Listen to our ads, and we'll see you soon with some real life cases. Mm-hmm. 
listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Okay, so we're going to talk about a few things here, a couple cases. One, very clear. The other, not that clear, but we're going to talk about it. <laughs> and then the third is just a little snippet about lead in toys mm. and stuff like that because it did happen close to a big case. But I hope you're not disappointed. I did less lead research than crime research. But um. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so... The first case is the Melvin Levine case. Um, this is about Dr. Melvin Levine, D. Levine, whatever, D for douche lord. Um, so, <laughs> um, so Dr. Levine was found dead February 2011 from a self-inflicted gunshot wound near the woods near his home in North Carolina. He was 71 at the time of death. His death, of course, was a day after a class action sexual abuse and malpractice suit was filed against him in Boston. So... Very like the SVU episode, but he was also, he did it. So it's like he victimized everyone multiple times. So like all of his victims finally were like, we're going to sue this motherfucker. And he took his own life the next day. That is very Epstein of him. JK, mm. Epstein was murdered. Okay. So... <laughs> Several plaintiffs said that Levine's abuse had clouded their lives and they hoped for resolution in the lawsuit, but he never gave them that chance. The lawsuit charges that Dr. Levine performed unnecessary genital exams on 40 boys while at the Children's Hospital of Boston from 1966 to 1985. Per the New York Times, the Boston Globe reported that several men said that they were young boys that Dr. Levine groped, fondled, or performed oral sex on them. One recalled a trip that he and the doctor were in the same bed. I don't know why they were taking trips together, but they were on a trip together in the same bed, and he took off his clothes and put his arm around the boy and fondled him. Christopher Dean, 50 at the time of this comment in 2011, said that for four years, starting when he was nine, he went twice a year to that office for a checkup that was just an occasion for molestation. This Jeez. motherfucker hunted at schools. So he would go to the nurse's office and then he would recruit for private clients. But I don't even remember. Did you remember? I remember a hearing check and an eye and check. And a scoliosis check. I don't remember that one. We had a scoliosis check. And that one, you got to wear like a gown and kind of bend over. 
Yeah, so that I maybe the doctor went to do those scoliosis checks and then found, you know, these guys know how to find their fucking prey. Yeah. Dean said he cried and was in shock after it happened, but he didn't tell anybody. And then, you know, there's just more cases. So, like, one man, Donald Roy, um, said that he was abused by the doctor at age 10 when he was having surgery. <sighs> he also invited him over to his house, and he told his mom, like, I don't want to go, and I don't want to go because he molested me, but the mom didn't know what to do, and so she sent him over anyway. So the mom knew the doctor molested him, but sent the kid to the doctor's house. Jesus. But I don't, your mom was a pediatrician because I didn't grow up with the understanding that you're doing trips and visits with your doctor. Is this regional, (laughs) specific to a predator? Like, what is this? My mom never had patients over. Like, that's not a thing that ever, we, she never, yeah, that's not a thing, I don't think. I mean, maybe if it's like, at the same time, this pediatrician is like a little league coach and has a kid or something like that, you know, that could be possible. But I don't think in the capacity of like, hey, head over to your pediatrician's house for a visit. That's weird. It is. I'm trying to understand what this is. Yeah. Like, is it small town vibes? But this is like Boston area. So yeah. I'm a li- I'm confused. Um, Dude, the Boston Globe stays working on pedophile cases. <laughs> like they are, bi- that is their beat. I know. I refuse to subscribe to one more, but maybe I have to. <laughs> maybe I have to subscribe to Boston Globe and maybe cancel my New Yorker. Can- cancel New York Times and I'll give you my login and then you can use my, bo- and I'll use your Boston. I can't because the Times with my games, I really need. Oh yeah, you're right. I need you're it. right. You're right. I need you're right. <laughs> And we see this on the podcast always, like, the this guy had glowing reputations, a glowing reputation as covers. They are good people in the community to cover their bad behavior. Do not trust a good man ever or a bad one or any of them. They will molest your children. So... <laughs> He was a leading advocate for children with learning disabilities. He had books and a PBS documentary and a nationwide schedule of lectures. He appeared on the Oprah Winfrey show. He had a nonprofit group called All Kinds of Minds, and that was with Charles Schwab, which I think I see commercials with the Schwab guy. It's like finance, right? Yeah, it's fi- it's like it's like a bank basically. They do finance. Yeah, my aunt works for them. So he's clearly connected and this group that he did all kinds of minds trained thousands of teachers. So in 2004 the New York City Department of Education gave All Kinds of Minds a 12.5 million dollar contract to train 20,000 teachers. In 2005 he was named by Scholastic Press the most and the most admired person in education. And his big thing that he always talked about was not dismissing a kid but but exploring what stopped a kid from learning. And his basic tenet was that no child should ever be humiliated. That's rich. In the, his lectures he commonly said avoiding humiliation at all costs. This guy knows no low. These guys but these guys like the more fame they get or like that kind of thing, it's like, that's, they're like, I'm never going to get caught. Like, I'm just too good. Like, look, I'm on Oprah. I'm doing this. I'm the teacher. I'm the educator of the year. Like, they just don't think they're ever going to get caught. But not only that, like, for your message to be, let's not humiliate children and then molest them. It's fucking horrible. Always with the med- Jimmy Seville, the other doctor yeah. we covered, you know, with the surgery, the doctor, the kids that they're most vulnerable, the most... Tri- it, it, ugh, ugh. After all this went down um, in Massachusetts, he went to North Carolina. And guess what happened? 
sexual abuse complaints arose in North Carolina. So finally, in March 2009, the North Carolina Medical Board was investigating charges, and he agreed to never practice medicine again, and he gave up his license. He was never convicted on any abuse charges and never faced criminal charges. And then in 2011, he just ended it. Wait, once, once, you know, the kids were going to get some sort of money or restitution in any way. Fuck. Psycho. It's so, it's so evil. It's evil, man. Um, So this case is the Gary Hurt case, and maybe you're going to help connect it to this episode. (laughs) We'll see. But, you know, an interesting case. We all love, um, I don't know if we love learning about the horrors of the world, but we do. That's why you're listening. You're obsessed with us. You're obsessed with Dick Wolf universe, (laughs) or you're a sicko. Um, So this is for the sickos. Uh, Gary was a high school scholar, a star athlete, an Eagle Scout, and a murderer. Don't I feel like I should be on Dateline? That was a good start. (laughs) That was fucking good, dude. Gary, Um, a high school scholar, star athlete, and Eagle Scout. And a murderer. <laughs> I love that guy. What's his fucking name again? He said my name, Keith. Keith, Um, when I was on Dateline, he goes, Carol Clank. He said my name just like that. You got to get the clip up and get it on the gram. The fact that you keep talking about being Keith on- Morrison. Keith Morrison. No, I, okay, so I, it used to be online and then they got rid of it. So I always could just send anybody the link and now they got rid of it. So I have it on a VHS. I got to get it, take it to Costco and get it like turned into a digital file or whatever. Um, okay, so anyways, this Gary guy, not a good name. JK, my childhood friend Gary, thinking about you. Okay, so <laughs> this Wisconsin high school senior was charged and arrested for the murder of 37-year-old Glenn Kapitsky. He sought him out and stalked the substitute teacher and killed him. So Kapitsky was murdered July 31st, 2003. The sheriff's captain, Steve Verweel. <laughs> No way that's right. But Captain Steve, he, um, in quote, said, I would attribute it to arrogance. He just wanted to see if he could do it. A fun challenge. And so he told tons of friends about this, um, but they didn't believe him. And then finally, a girl he once dated went to the cops because she was scared he was going to take his own life out of remorse. So what happened to Kapitsky was he was shot in the head, stabbed twice in the back and once in the heart. He was found dead August 2nd, 2003, so about a month after the murder took place, in his rural house outside of Wayawega. <laughs> People in Wisconsin in particular get mad when we don't pronounce their towns right. I feel like they've come for us before. A lot of people, you know, they like their towns to be said right. But for some reason, I do feel like the Wisconsin people really come at us. But if one of the 1,800 people that live in this town listens to our podcast, I would love them to message us how to really say it. (laughs) (laughs) That's smaller than my high school. Yeah, wow. I I really don't get it, but wea wiga. And it's like, I don't know, you guys all stole it from indigenous people anyways. We should just like be speaking about, like <laughs> speaking like this. Whatever. It's a tiny ass town in Wisconsin, 1800 population. Kara looked at my notes and the, <laughs> <laughs> the community is about 90 miles north of Madison, Wisconsin, which we will be there soon. Um, <laughs> Come see us. This is a plug. <laughs> we are plugging. We we are being the problem now of true crime girls. Um, so the murder took place in Madison, and you can come check us out live in Madison at the place <laughs> of the murder. 
So it's home, of course, to a cheese production company, amongst other businesses. Um, And a lot of the news just kept hammering. This is like so classic Americana. Like the news just kept hammering about how great Gary was, the killer, which is annoying because he's a killer. But, you know, these celebrated men, they just love it. They love a high school star that commits a crime. They love a Brock Turner. He didn't rape anyone. He's a good swimmer. Like that's fucking what they love. But my big thing is like, can you believe it? And it's like, yeah, it's these guys every time. (laughs) Like, I would be more shocked if it was a delinquent, honestly. So this guy, you know, they kept being like, honor student vibes, track, wrestling, football. Because you know what we know about football players? A, A plus guys. Yeah. (laughs) He was also dating a 14-year-old which I hate because he was 18. So I was just like, how dare you 18 date a 14-year-old? Yeah. Okay, but it's fine if it's a fact because I guess that's like a freshman dating a senior, which does happen. Like maybe I'm being a prude, maybe I'm being a little much, but like freshmen do date seniors. I know. But seeing the numbers is... (laughs) Freshmen are right out of eighth grade. (laughs) Like seeing the number is tough, but like it... But if someone was like, my son's dating a freshman. No, it's gross. It is gross. But yeah, NBC News used it as a positive. They were like, he has a steady 14-year-old girlfriend. And it's like, well, how steady and for how long? She is 14. Like, was she 13 when they started dating? What is happening? I will say when I was a freshman, I feel like more people were dating juniors and it was more rare for it to be senior freshmen. That is kind of a really yucky age difference for me. It is, but it was only the hottest and the coolest of them. So it is just like, I mean, that's the twisted darkness too, where it's like, it's celebrated as this elite sexy thing. Yeah. To like go to prom as a freshman or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But I just don't get how that was one of their positives. They're like football, wrestling, honor roll. And he was dating a 14 year old steadily. Like it's just like (laughs) NBC what happened that day. They also were like, he's 6'4", 270. Is this the WWE? Like I just (laughs) hate everything. So the mayor said um, classic. The mayor was classic. The kid had everything going for him. But what's so funny to me is the mayor's name is Mayor Quimby, which is the mayor of The Simpsons. Oh, my God, really? That's so funny. So Mayor Quimby is the mayor of this town. And Mayor Quimby is based on, like, I would say the Kennedy family and, like, very just corrupt. He's a corrupt mayor. So wild to have a Mayor Quimby. Um, And he knew the Hurt family forever. It's a tiny town. And so he works with him. And he's the one that gave this guy all his Boy Scout merit badges. So the whole town couldn't believe it. And then the NBC News article, I always love when they just talk to a random guy from the town. So his name's Paul. So Paul Mayu owns the Dairy Queen, where her also found the time to work on the weekends for two and a half years. And he said that he's going to keep Hurt's job open for him. On trial for murder, but the Dairy Queen job he's going to hold open for him? Like... Get me out of these tiny... They say we're in a bubble. Honey, you're in a Dairy (laughs) Queen bubble. Um, he's quoted in 2004 in this NBC news piece that they're going to stand by him on what they know about him. Wait, that reminds me of Guffman when she goes, I could always go back to the DQ. They said they'd take me back. <laughs> that that's, what ama- Gary, that's what Gary was thinking. That was an amazing impression. Thank you. 
Thank you so much. More great qualities um, about this guy. Also, nothing about the dead man. Like, no one in any of the articles. <laughs> no one cares about this man. No one cares about this dead man who is gruesomely murdered. But the Dairy Queen guy was just like, ah, oh, Gary, he was polite, quiet, got along with everyone. He never bragged and didn't think too much of himself. Okay, but he is a murderer. Like, I don't know why. It's like when people are like, I mean, Hitler wasn't all bad. And it's like, but why do we need to find the good parts of yeah. Hitler? Like, I don't. Murderer, um, genocidal maniac. That knocks out trumps. everything else. Yeah. yeah. It just knocks out that you were good to your dog or whatever. Like, Yeah, it's the snood game. Once it hits, they all come crumbling. Yeah. The other <laughs> ideas don't matter. Oh, my God. I fucking love snood. Can I still play that? It's so good. Yeah, you can find it online. But they, I got it on my phone. But it's like, at you know, it's like everything in life. It's a scam. My senior year in college, I used to sneak home from parties to just play snood. I was like, I'm not having fun. And I would just go home and play snood. <laughs> was I depressed? I don't know. <laughs> I know. Looking back at, like, it's so interesting when your coping and bad habits have been the same for decades and you've never <laughs> been able to escape them. Like, I think back about college. Like, I would totally leave parties to go home and watch TV by myself. Always. <laughs> I was like, like I was like, I'm actually really getting good at snood. I think I might beat it soon. So I'm going to go home and like not socialize on my final year of college. <laughs> now back to a horrific murder. So for five months, um, investigators were stumped. They didn't even look at her as a suspect because obviously the whole town is obsessed with this sexy high school football athlete. Like the whole town's Jesus. like, we couldn't even thought about it. But then finally a friend came over, um, came over, came forward. Like I mentioned, someone that dated him. So basically Olivia Toma, she came forward January 1st. I guess she had a real come to Jesus New Year's hangover and had to, had to run to the cops. And so on January 1st, she was worried that he was going to harm himself. Um, I, so again, this whole town, I guess, hated the substitute teacher. Like everyone just loved this high school jock so much that like he even told this chick Olivia and Olivia's like, mm, okay. And then was like, oh, well, Gary's about to harm himself. I got to get him help. And it's like, but you knew that he murdered. But according to the police report, Toma and him exchanged their biggest secrets to each other at a county fair. And she didn't take him seriously. Or maybe her secret was really bad, too. So anyways, so on January 28th, the police recorded a call between Toma and Hurt, and he described crime details that were not public. So they knew they had him. And finally, they had it on tape, him saying that he did it just because he wanted to see if he could get away with it. This is the problem with dating 14-year-olds. They are going to roll on you. You know? They're they not ride or die. They're not ride or die. They just finished eighth grade. They're going to report record you when you're talking because they don't want to get grounded. <laughs> Other friends also said that he killed animals and would brag about it often. Ooh. So I, but they still loved him. Okay. Um, he actually said in an interview that he doesn't have guilt for killing animals because he figures that he's doing them a favor. Wow. In, end quote. He also told another friend, Eric Wenzelau, about it. And the two young men visited the house in July before the murder. And he said that they thought, like, he thought they were just looking for deer at this guy's house, I guess. Um, but then later he confessed to Eric that he drove his dad's car and found Kapitsky naked and killed him. So they took his ass in on January 29th and they did it at school. So like a true SVU episode, they arrested wow. this guy at Herp school. Walk. 
Herp walk during third period. Ah! Okay, so that never happens in real life, so I'm so excited. So his parents obviously couldn't believe it when the authorities came to search the house. And then police also found Kapitsky's keys in his room and two shotguns in the basement. Now, here I said Kapitsky's name because I have um, respect for the death. This article just said found the dead man's keys. (laughs) Wow. Like, legit, it was, I was in a twilight zone reading about the crime. So with all the evidence against him, he of course pled not guilty. (laughs) So he said he was not involved in the murder. He just had the dead man's keys. Okay, sir. So October 2004, he did finally plead guilty to first degree intentional homicide, but then he claimed insanity. And so they went to jury, like a jury trial. On March 17th, 2005, he was sentenced. The jury gave him mandatory life, but then the judge changed it and said he would be eligible for parole after 32 years, um, including time served. So he will be in prison till at least 50 years old. But now we have a wild twist, okay? Right before he was sentenced, the 19-year-old said he can't feel guilty for killing a man in disgust after a homosexual encounter. And he was, quote, this is a quote in ABC News. And it wasn't the first time he said something like that. So he only gave one interview during this time, and it was to ABC News to Cynthia McFadden. And in this interview, he said, there's no reason I should be um, held accountable for this. That's just the way I feel. I can't change that. He straight up gay panicked, like he was trying to gay panic. So he eventually confessed and said he was out of his mind at the time. um, And he was driven into a murderous rage after having a homosexual encounter with the older man. I'm glad he got a long sentence. I really hate this person. So he claimed in the interview with McFadden, but he did not testify in court. So it's just the interview. So he didn't mm-hmm. testify where he needed to be telling him the truth. So obviously I don't believe him because if this was real, why wouldn't you testify? Um, so he says that he was sitting on top of his car under a bridge, getting drunk, listening to a song by Nirvana over and over. He said that he drank six bottles of malt liquor and 15 shots of vodka. I, it's just confusing that this cool, beloved high schooler was under a bridge alone drinking 40s like i i don't but okay it sounds like he's wrestling trying to self-medicate after because he has some homosexual feelings exactly you're right so he said when he drank he sometimes had homosexual urges and that kapitsky pulled up his car and flirted with him and they agreed to go back to the older man's house he said it was consensual he said he went um he went in they fucked and then he fell asleep in his car and when he woke up sober he was in a rage having sex with another man and he was just grossed out beyond belief and disappointed at the proof of my imperfection to myself that i had had done these things. He believed a homosexual act was not as bad as raping somebody or torturing somebody, but it was worse than murder. Wow. Okay. So he said that um, it like that the gay stuff was worse to his psyche and personality than the murder. Also, the prosecutor doesn't, like, he's not convinced and he's not convinced and no one knows if Kapitsky's even gay. Like, Kapitsky is dead and no one cares to talk about this man who lost his life in this brutal way. It's all just about Gary. It's all about Gary. Um, That's so crazy. But I mean, Gary would not have made up the homosexual thing if it's so dis- if it's so shameful to him, right? Like, I feel like it did happen. 
I just don't believe that Kapitsky drove by as this guy was hammered and then they all drove back, like, separately. I just Especially don't Especially because he it. had cased his house with his friend, right? Yeah. Yeah. And maybe it yeah. was the next day that they cased it, but it's like, no, because that wouldn't make sense. You're right. Yeah. Like, yeah. And the guy's a substitute teacher. Like, did he know the student? It is a small town. But his yeah. parents believe him. And they said it was difficult for their son to admit to having homosexual sex. But also, he is a murderer. <laughs> but okay. And the father, Mike, Mike Her uh, to ABC News said, I think Gary was willing to accept life in jail to keep that secret to himself. In some ways, I'd probably put in that situation, I think I would have probably been very tough to come forward. I so know the that's... Dad, the, dad, it's, the dad is talking not very articulately, but he's saying like, wow, this would be so hard to come forward. It's like, you came forward about a murder. <laughs> like you have murdered a person, but the gay thing is so much harder and worse and more of a secret. It's so fucked. Can you believe that that is real? Like, that no. is real life. There are people. But didn't that... That recently happened with, like, a school shooter. Um, the one... Uh, not a school shooter. Th- a gay club on the Pacific North. Like, I can't believe I can't keep all our country's mass shootings together. But after one, a recent mass shooting, a dad said that he... It's better that he's the killer than if he was at the gay club. At the gay bar. Like, there are people... That could like legit people at the Christian college I went to. I remember having gay conversations and I remember a kid raising his hand and saying, well, God loves all sinners, but it's like he's not condoning murder, but he accepts you. And that's the same with gay. Like, I remember this fucking girl. So like with curly hair, I want to know where she is. I wish college had a yearbook. But anyways, it is shocking that there are people that would rather their kids be murderers than gay. Anyways, I keep rambling. The prosecution was disgusted with this defense and they thought it was all lies and they're like, shut the fuck up. Like, we hate you and you're going to jail. And he did. Um, I would like to end talking about the victim of all of this since for some reason none of the media thought to. But Kapitsky did live alone and he wanted to get into action Acting and comedy, said um, his mother, Shirley Kapitsky, and that he was a loner and a little bit different, eccentric, and that that sadly made him a target. And so it's It's literally, it's a fucking hate crime. I mean, it's a true, it's a full hate crime. I think this guy was gay and he clocked it and he knew that he had those feelings. So he stalked him, went over there. Maybe they had some kind of uh, thing together and then he killed him. Yeah, I'm really confused why the judge took away the life sentence and gave him opportunity for parole in 32. Damn. I I mean, I wonder what the judge has. Okay, so now I'm going to quickly go over. This is, um, yeah, quick. This is obviously a giant, a giant international exporting, importing catastrophe that, who am I? An economics major? Okay. So this is based on the concerns of high lead levels in toys during the 2007 Chinese export recalls. So Barbie pink will never end. This is about Mattel, baby. <laughs> so Mattel recalled 19 million toys sent from China. Let's think about 19 million toys. 
That's a lot. Fuck. Yeah. So August 14th, 2007, the world's largest, um, you know, toy company announced the biggest recall in its history. This all started in July when one of Mattel's European retail partners noticed lead paint on some of its toys. So then an extensive investigation began. At first, it was 436,000 Chinese made uh, die cast toy cars from the movie Cars. It was Sarge. Um, Sarge is the, which one is Sarge? I think he's the, is he the like little tow truck or I don't know. I really don't know. I've not seen cars. My kids Ah. aren't into that yet. Oh, really? I'm so shocked. They, we've tried it, and they just don't get into it. After, like, 15 minutes, they want to turn it off. I totally thought you were going to have a story. Sarge is a military vehicle, which clearly makes sense, and we're yeah. idiots. We're <laughs> idiots. We're idiots. So that was the first thing. And then there was 18.2 million other toys that were recalled because they had small, powerful magnets that could harm kids if they were swallowed. Damn. So the Magnet toys have been being produced since 2002, and it included 44 different Polly Pocket toys, 11 doggy daycare toys, four Batman toys, one piece, I don't know what that is, one piece toy and two Barbie toys. And half of the toys in each recall were distributed in the United States. And these magnets are not chill. Okay, so another company, Rosart and Mega Toys. And Rosart is always second fiddle to Crayola because I remember because I had to have Rosart and the product was inferior. (laughs) So William Finley was an almost four-year-old child when his grandmother gave him a Mega Magnetics building set for Christmas in 2004. And one of the powerful micromagnets fell out of the plastic casing and William swallowed them. And then he became super ill. He had to go undergo surgery to remove these magnets and mend his intestines. So these magnets are so strong that if you swallow one, they don't just like pass through the child's body. They get stuck in the digestive system and they rip through tissue. And the magnetic forces like draw all together into a tight, powerful clump in these children. Jesus. Oh, my God. (laughs) I know. I know. Mega Brands was not helpful in the investigation um, into their defective magnets. And then when the company submitted to the data, there was data that showed in the beginning of 2004, the company and Rose Art received 1,500 consumer reports of magnets coming loose from their casings and did nothing. And then finally, December 2005, a toddler died and then they jumped to work. Senator Dick Durbin and Representative Bobby L. Rush, an Illinois uh, Democrat crew. So this Rush guy is the chairman on trade and consumer protection and hearings. Um, And so he held hearings on the toys on June 18th and said the company did everything in their power to derail the commission's effort to take the product off the shelf. They were trying to put warning stickers on and it's like, no, no, no. Like some people don't speak English. You can't have a warning sticker if it's like death, like on a toy. Take it off the shelves, you fucking lunatics. <laughs> I hate it. Um, Whatever. So they didn't cooperate at all and kids are dying and I hate it. So, um, and the kids swallowed so many magnets. There was a kid in Italy who swallowed 60 magnets. Jesus. Then in a separate toy situation, Toys R Us, they had a bunch of lead baby bibs. Oh, my God. So vinyl bibs with famous characters, they were selling for about $5 each. The kids were licking them. And then anything with like ripped and cracked bibs were the worst for exposure. Sesame Street, Door the Explorer toys, they were filled with lead as well. And in this article, they're like shares dropped 57 cents 
which doesn't seem like a lot. And then the Mattel stock rose back to the same levels after only a few hours. So lead levels that were killing kids only dropped 57 cents stocks for a few hours and nobody cared there was lead in the toys. The lead paint recall was Mattel's second in less than a month of lead-tainted toys. And we wish that the world really had an Alex Cabot there to protect the children and trick CEOs onto the stand. So Jim Walter, Senior Vice President of Worldwide Quality Assurance at Mattel, said to the New York Times that they legit did not step up checks on the nearly 3,000 companies that license its brands to put on products on their toys. That's so many products. They blame the big recall on a subcontractor, Hong Li Da, who was hired by a Mattel contractor in China, and it's called Early Light Industrial. Hasbro heard the news and they increased the level of its safety checks following all the recalls. One brand's failure is another brand's warning, is what they said. And I kind of like that. Hmm. That's kind of clever. So then we have S. Prakash Sethi, um, and he's a professor at Baruch College, um, and that is a city university of New York. And he acted as an independent monitor of working conditions in Mattel factories for the last 10 years of when this article came out in the case. And he says... If Mattel, with all of its emphasis on quality and testing, found such a widespread problem, what do you think is happening in the rest of the toy industry, in the apparel industry, and even in the low-end electronics industry? And that's from the New York Times, baby. So he's saying if, like, this juggernaut is not being safe, what makes you think all these other companies are? There's Mm. lead everywhere. It is dangerous. And then I thought like, oh, this will be nice. I'll be able to end this true crime. You know, there were some murders we discussed, but like, and like horrible molestation, but I can end on just lead toys and a recall. But of course, no. Of course, no. There's no positive endings here. So it was found that the company I mentioned, Li Der Industrial, a contract manufacturer based in southern China with the lead paint, like that was the lead paint, you know, point zero, ground zero. And so because of this, Mattel stopped accepting goods from the contractor. And then the Chinese government revoked Li Der's export license. And then the owner, Zhang Shu Hong, then took his own life by hanging himself in the factory warehouse. Wow. Mattel has recovered its costs, and that's that. And the reps just like, to my understanding, leaders out of business, and we're fine. Done and done. Patrick McRoy, the director of the Chicago uh, Lead Poisoning Prevention Program in 2007, said to the New York Times, all lead is bad lead. So that's... No lead lives matter. Lead is bad all the time. Yeah. Thank you, Lisa, for doing all of that. Wait, but do you do you understand why the second crime was connected to this episode? Not really. It was a teen killing an older person. Yeah. But I don't. I'm glad you told me about it, but I don't. I wonder why that was ever put online as a possible connect. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, also, like, the brutality of the killing, maybe? Like, because it was... This guy was shot and stabbed and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. And then this guy was bludgeoned and shot. So I don't know. Maybe. Thank you for doing research on three separate um, issues and crimes. And um, we have a great guest. So don't go anywhere. (music) 
Okay, as our usual reminder, this interview was recorded prior to the SAG strike. This is our last interview, I believe, before we are going to take a little break from having interviews until the SAG strike is resolved. And we hope that that happens soon because we have a lot of people waiting in the wings that are ready to do the pod and we're excited to bring them to you. But for now, we're standing strong with our union and we're not having anybody on to uh, promote television shows that they were a part of uh, or projects that they have going on. Uh, but our guest today, who we recorded before the strike, was uh, is another Broadway baby. We've, we're on a streak of Broadway uh, darlings right now. He won a Tony for originating the role of Moritz Stiefel in Spring Awakening. He was also in the Broadway productions of American Idiot and Jerusalem. And he was in the movie 10 Cloverfield Lane. But you know him today as Dr. Murderer Jeff Linwood. Guys, please enjoy our chat with the delightful John Gallagher Jr., yeah, we heard that you're a buddies with another friend of the pod, Michael Chernus. Yes, I just saw him at a birthday party last week. I had just listened to your episode with him. <laughs> uh, it was when they sent me the the invitation for this. I I I hadn't heard the podcast yet, but I was like, well, that's a great idea. I mean, my <laughs> my 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 dad and my sister are are fanatics as well, and every every Christmas, if there's ever any kind of marathon on. Of law and order. <laughs> they always get stuck uh, watching like eight episodes in a row. So I was thinking about them when I was listening to it. But I saw Chernus's name and I was like, oh, I want to listen to this one. And it was a it was a great episode. Oh, per- that's he perfect. was incredible. So your father and sister know that you're in a legendary episode of SVU, one of the most memorable, I would say. You know, I, they, they might they might not really quite uh have it on that much of a pedestal. I think they probably have both watched it once upon its original airing. <laughs> it but has like, stuck with both of us yes. since it aired. I bring up Pika all the time. <laughs> yes, I learned it- about it from BD Wong here. And it is like, <laughs> it's just such a staple because I didn't know of a thing and then I knew it because of SVU. It is one of those episodes that I, 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 you know, it's it's entertaining, it's interesting, it's unique, and then very informative in the end, really. Yeah. It kind of ticks all the boxes. Yeah, and, like, I honestly feel like they should change the name of it because when you tell people, you're like, oh, the episode led, they're like, uh, and you're like, the one where the kid has pica, and you're like, oh, we oh, got it. Pica? That's it. I'm not even saying it right. No, I only realized that when I rewatched Talk to John because B.D. <laughs> Wong said it again, and I was like, we've been saying pica for a long time. <laughs> I only realized. God. But... Okay, so how did this, We like, you're no, a Broadway we baby. A- we know all, like, we know a lot about you, but mm. what do you want to start with, Lisa? Biting the pencil, of yes. course. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to beat around the, the bush. <laughs> well, it is, it is the most memorable moment. It what? is, and what's funny is B.D. Wong, like, is like, oh, something's up, but the rest, no one else reacts to you yes. chewing on a pencil. I like, know. it's a piece of celery. <laughs> like, everyone's like, just, this kid loves pencils. What can you do? We can't keep him in on number twos quick enough. Like, what? <laughs> it is one of those moments where I, I, I remember thinking, like, well, no one's really reacting to this. I mean, it's <laughs> rather an intense gesture. Uh, maybe they all know it's coming or something. Yeah, I remember filming that day, and when I got to set, uh, w- one of my biggest questions, of course, was what's this pencil going to be made out of? Is it going to be an actual pencil? And it was it was a, a very impressive recreation of a pencil made entirely from marzipan candy. So it was like really sweet, like sickly sweet. Wow. But they had the like the lettering and they had like 12 of them. They had made a bunch of them because they knew we were going to probably be doing a handful of takes. 
This is this this is the info why we started this podcast. This is the I cannot believe that was a candy pencil. It looked so real. And like the way that you were eating it, I was like, <laughs> it looks like he's eating a real ass pencil. Oh my God. It's like way before is it cake? Like I'll see you again. <laughs> you know, ahead of I was time. ahead of the curve there. Come on, in 2009 <laughs> when we made that episode. And I remember it was it was doubt they were weirdly delicate. Yeah. Because of the almond flour or something. And I had to have it in my in my pocket. And then I take it out and I'm kind of playing with it. And I just remember being acutely aware of of not to manhandle it because they were like, it will break apart if you press it too hard. And you kind of have to sell. It's It, it was pretty, um, I had to kind of sell as if it had like, there was some, you know, there was a lot of bend to the marzipan. I had to kind of sell that it was a like a stiff snapping you know, wooden pencil. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. Marzipan. Hollywood magic. Marzipan. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? I mean, <gasps> heads up to, I mean, get that crew. You got to give it up to them. They're, uh, there's something else. They yeah. Make. Magic happened weekly on, on the set there of SVU. Another prop or more wardrobe that I love is like your chicken outfit is so good too. <laughs> yeah. I would have tried to steal that. That's like Yeah, so I, I good. spent a portion of the episode in it. I don't change for a while after <laughs> they haul me off uh, for questioning. <laughs> So you like did original recipe in 02, then you did criminal intent in 04, then you made the Trinity. Yeah. So you've completed the Trinity by doing this episode. So, I mean, at this point, you're like a Broadway star and like, did they just have you come in to to do this part or did like they know you from doing other Law and Orders or like what was the... In, in preparation to, to, to speak with the two of you, I... Uh... I really was racking my brain. Okay, what do I remember about the process of getting this part? Did I audition? Uh, I even went through my emails. <laughs> I like, I like searched like Law and Order SVU led audition offer. Uh, I was like going back to see if I could find the the, uh, the origin of how I found this. I couldn't find anything. I don't know. Maybe the fact that you even did an email search already, like, you're like above ninety nine percent of the people that come. <laughs> Podcast. I wanted to be informed, you know, I wanted to have good answers to your questions. I didn't want to just sit here saying I don't remember over and over again, which probably still could happen. It's fine. I, yeah, I do remember that it, uh, it was like, um, you know, I think January, February. I remember all these really weird little details about it. I remember that the Watchmen movie was coming out because I was reading the original Watchmen uh, um, graphic novel uh, like in between takes. I, I remember reading that on set and people being like, oh, hey, you excited for the movie? I was like, why, yes, I am. Yeah. And yeah, I think I had yeah I had done the original in 2002. I I think I was about 17. I did, I had a scene with with uh, with Jesse and Jerry, which was very ex exciting. And then I did Criminal Intent and had a bunch of scenes with, with Catherine and Vincent and that was very exciting. And intimidating and scary and then also john savage uh, of like the deer hunter fame and many other things played my my evil stepfather uh in that episode and i i want to say that because i had done the the two other law and orders i think led was just an offer you know turnus talked about this on his episode that you know you you just spend I, I, I couldn't tell you how many times I've gone to Chelsea Piers and sat in that waiting room and auditioned for episodes of law and order i moved to new york 20 years ago and uh, especially before streaming, um, and now we have this wealth of TV series being shot. Well, not right now because of the writer's strike, but, it, uh, you know, in leaner times, lots of streaming shows and cable shows being filmed. But for a while, it was really like if you saw 
uh, a hair and makeup trailer on the corner of a street in New York City, it, 99% chance it was Law & Order. Maybe it was NYPD Blue coming over from LA to pick up some some exteriors or something, or maybe it was Third Watch or, or what have you. Now, there's lots of different shows. But you just spend so much time as a working actor and auditioning actor in New York sitting in that waiting room. And so I'd been in for, for them so many times. And I remember it was kind of a lull. I had done a play uh, right before the holidays, and it was that kind of like winter lull where I wasn't working and I was just kind of kicking around the apartment. And then I got this pretty sure I just got the offer um, for, for lead. And then, and then it was a, um, because it was a heftier part than I'd had in my previous law and order outings. I think it was like, maybe like a two ish week uh, process of, uh, of filming it. You know, of course I, I was nervous about the, like the, the, the emotional, uh, punch of the role and also, you know, trying to be delicate about it and, um, and do justice to it. I mean, t- to be totally honest with you, I, I, I think maybe now in 2023 at 38, I, I might've said, I, I don't know if I'm the guy for this, you guys, I, 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 I mean, uh, as much as I'd love, love to do it, but you know, I was 25 and looking for work. And, uh, I just remember thinking, well, if I can strike some kind of delicate balance and not make this seem like a parody or um or you know a, a, an offensive performance i i'm not it's not really for me to say whether i succeeded in that or not yeah. uh, but i certainly was trying to to find the nuance and to just kind of play the simplicity of this of this guy who uh, you know a, as a result of uh trauma abuse and then literal brain damage uh, has been rendered with you know limited uh mental capabilities um so it was a it was a, a nervy process uh, trying to bring that to life. Um, but uh, everybody was really sweet and kind on the set. It's, it really is a, a good group of people. I have fond memories of those two weeks. Yeah. You're right. I mean, maybe we all can't be the judge, but I think you nailed the performance and all of it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Maybe it's not for me, but you did great. (laughs) I think the people, I think what was fucked was everyone around you and how they spoke about you. (laughs) I feel like your performance was great. I think it was mostly like Captain Craig and being like, I don't know, he seems slow. Like that is, um, those are the things that. It's so funny. I was just on a podcast this morning and the, the host of the podcast was going, if Tom Hanks made Forrest Gump now, he would have been escorted out of Hollywood. Like, mm, there's mm-hmm. just no way. Like, every line, there's no way that that movie could be made today, like, mm. at all. Like, we wouldn't have had Gary Sinise as an amputee. Like, that never would have happened. Like, and Absolutely. I was like, it's interesting. Like, things just change, I think, in the last few years as well have changed so fast of, like, you know. Really quickly. No, without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the thing with SVU. It's like always ahead of its time or completely not and dated. It's like, uh, <laughs> it's such a beautiful mix. Like how we learned about Pika, but then right. Cab- Cabot says some fucked up shit. Anyways, um, you and BD Wong in interrogation, you get mad at him. You hate doctors. How was oh. that scene? Well, it's just, it's, it's, um, he, he's a very difficult person to show animosity towards. I mean, he's one of the sweetest people ever. He's so kind. Um, and, uh, I also was like totally starstruck, you know, I mean, as a, as a, as a, as a child of the late eighties and early nineties, you know, saw Jurassic Park about a thousand times at the Cineplex in Wilmington, Delaware, where I grew up, um, <laughs> you know, he was a superstar uh, to me. And then of course, not to mention the father of the bride films. Hello. But, uh, I, I remember thinking, well, it's going to be really hard to attack this uh, this very sweet man that I look up to. 
Uh, and then, but the, the kind of the real highlight of that scene was getting, uh, um, you know, thrown against the wall by, was it, was it Ice? Maloney, it? it's Maloney. Yeah, it was like, I, I remember them just like rushing into the room and, and, uh, and, you know, being, being hoisted against, against the wall uh, by him was like, I, I really felt that was like, that was the day where I was like, oh, I'm on it. I'm on an episode of SVU. <laughs> It's also a lot of people's sexual fantasies. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I know. I feel so lucky. You know. <laughs> what felt more iconic, being in the interrogation room or in the courtroom? Um, I guess maybe the courtroom because, like, the stakes feel when you're filming those scenes. Like, the stakes do feel very high. There's a lot of extras in the room. It's a big set. They've got crane shots to kind of show the depth of the room. Um, the interrogation room is obviously in, in, incredibly iconic, um, but it's it's much more of a smaller kind of intimate way of filming. But the courtroom definitely felt like we were doing, you know, like a little play. Uh, and then you you have usually like that's almost always the kind of climax of the episode. So it tends to be the big reveal. It tends to be kind of the most dramatic scene. And so you do have to learn like more dialogue and more beats and there's kind of more choreography and then somebody's always objecting and then this person stands up. And so it, there's more moving pieces to those scenes. And I remember that being one of the more stressful days. And then of course the pencil thing, I was like, if I can't make this pencil thing work, the whole episode falls apart. So I remember being a little stressed out uh, on those days. And then you've got like one of the most uh, like prolific actors, John Cullum, to my right, um, uh, playing the the judge who I've looked at looked up to for years. So that was really exciting to be on set with him too. Would you rather go on a night on the town with theater actors or f- screen actors? Hmm. <laughs> Probably theater actors. Um, yeah, I feel like that because uh, on the with the theater schedule you uh it it tends to be a little bit more forgiving because you don't have to get up you know at like four o'clock five o'clock in the morning to to get to set and go to hair and makeup you can sleep in a little bit so theater people they they can really rage they when the night is right they can really throw down (laughs) yeah but this is we talk about this a lot anytime we have a broadway baby on but like what is what do you do for your throat like can you drink like what is the pacing of your fun life versus the like you know, getting your vocal cords. Set. I know. Well, I will say that like a, a musical, if you're doing a musical and I've done a couple of those, it, that's, it's, it's a lot harder to have like any kind of life. It's just so hard to have a life or a social life because the recovery uh, that is needed to be able to get back up on stage the next night is, is so intense. So you really like your, your, your tank is, it gets depleted so fast on that schedule. Um, when you're doing a play, it, it feels like so much fun um, because uh, you still obviously have to bring like you, you you can't get too run down throughout the week. But it's a little bit more forgiving if you're not singing and dancing at the same time. That's mm. just like an, an extra kind of physical um, level to things. Um, and yes, yeah, so you don't really see anybody doing the during the week. The, the weird thing about theater is that theater people, for them, their weekend starts Sunday night and yeah. basically just Sunday night because you have Mondays off uh, and then you're back you're back at it Tuesday night, Tuesday through Sunday and then the weekends are actually insane for doing theater because you do Friday night, usually a, a Saturday matinee, Saturday night, Sunday matinee, Sunday night. So your weekend is just a marathon 
And then on Sunday night, everybody kind of goes insane because they've made it through this marathon. And, you know, if you're inclined to partying, Sunday night is kind of the night. Uh, you can always kind of tell, like, if you go into a bar on a Sunday night in New York City and it's packed, it's like, oh, this is the theater people are here. <laughs> this is their Friday night. Everybody else has to get up in the morning. Yeah, it's like the SNL schedule. You guys just have your one day. One day. Outside of the obvious, what are, um, like, pet peeves you have with an audience or, like, things that we should not do? Mm. Um, this this is one where I can't, like, I, I know the obvious ones are, like, you know, cell phones. Uh, still, it's crazy. You know, even with all of the announcements, you'll still have somebody's phone going off or somebody checking their phone, and then you can, like, you can see it in the dark, you know, you'll just see like this illuminated face looking down and it's like, Oh, they're on their phone. And, yeah. Uh, that, that can be, that can be really distracting. The one thing, and I, I can't really fault people for this because it's a very Pavlovian response, but like, what, like, for example, when I did long day's journey tonight, I was playing a character that had tuberculosis and it's in the script that, I mean, he's coughing constantly because he has this terrible respiratory illness. And there is always that thing in, in the theater where if somebody coughs on stage, it's immediately contagious. Like it will set off a chain reaction. Somebody in the balcony will go, oh, do I have to cough? <laughs> yeah, I think I do. Uh, and then somebody down in the orchestra hears that and then they cough and it will ripple effect for the next 30 some seconds. I swear it happened almost every show of long days. Whenever my character would cough or sound raspy, it would kind of, trigger this response of people clearing their throat wow. or cough uh, in the audience. And, and I get it. I know sometimes you hear it and it, 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 it triggers it within you. I probably, I've been there, but um, that would get frustrating because then you're kind of fighting with the, with the sound for that, for the next like a uh, minute or so. Yeah. Like stop coughing. Yeah. The phone thing is killer. I, I can't imagine. Yeah. Whenever I've been at shows where it happens, it's always just like an old person that doesn't know how to turn it off then. And they're yeah, like, I usually. can't find it. Like, it's always, you know. And it just kind of will ring and ring and yeah. ring. Until, yeah. Until until it's done. Until it's over. Yeah. It's, it's I, I don't know. It's funny because I, I play music as well. Like, I play my own music and I do shows with my band. I do kind of solo acoustic shows as well. And it's what I've noticed, like, I'm so much more forgiving like in a, in a night like that, it feels very kind of, oh, it's like I'm talking to the audience. Everything can be off the cuff. Like a phone goes off. What are you going to do? Somebody's on their phone. That's fine. The, the, be on your phone. Right. I'm just up here doing my thing. But it is this weird thing. Like when you, you like my standards are definitely weirdly different on stage doing a piece of theater. Like then I will suddenly, you know, you can get thrown a lot more uh, easily by distractions on that setting. Yeah, the famous Patty Lapone. Oh my gosh. Jump the, off. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, just the legend. I mean, has has anybody stopped a show with more uh power and assertion than, than I saw Whoopi Goldberg in a funny thing happen on the way to forum when I was like 15, <laughs> and she stopped the show to yell at people who were late. Oh wow. People were late going to their seats and she was like, excuse me. And it was wild. We were like, uh. But, you know, she's a yeah. punctual queen. What do you want? I think I'd stop the show once. I think there was a time once when I was doing American Idiot, which was the, the Green Day show uh, on Broadway's Green Day musical. And 
and uh, my character kind of narrated the show and would like be talking kind of to the audience in between songs. And so if something happened at that show, I remember I felt like, well, I feel like I have to say something or it it wouldn't, wouldn't make sense to, to ignore it. I think I told someone to put their phone away once on that one, which is, which I I regret, (laughs) (laughs) but I don't know. I was trying to, I was trying to have the punk rock spirit. I was like, man, get off your phone. So was that you, a cool part to land? Oh, it was amazing. It it was completely life-changing. Yeah. It 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 ended up being about three years of my life, um, uh, developing it, working really, really close with Green Day. They were like very, very game collaborators. They they were there in rehearsals and they were so supportive. And we all got really, really close. I mean, I, I met some of my best friends doing that show, my girlfriend of 10 years, uh, I wow. met doing that show. Wow. Um, we're, we're not together anymore, but yeah. we had a great ride, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and, uh, yeah, it was one of those moments. It was, um, I couldn't do it now. It was so physically, uh, arduous and intense, but it was a life altering experience. And I, I, it, it will always mean so much to me. Yeah. What um what is your music? Tell us about the music cuz I was like looking at your Instagram and I saw you're like su- you you support other bands but like you also yeah. do solo stuff. So what's the what's your band called? Um it's just me. It's just John Gallagher Jr. I'm so a solo artist. I write all my own okay. songs and put out my own records. Um the first two are available on Spotify and Apple Music and all that. Um but they're under I I was in some I don't know what I was thinking but I was trying to make it harder for people to find my music I guess. Um and I put the records out under Johnny Gallagher. So if you're looking for my, <laughs> you know, my professional name it it usually doesn't show up but um but yeah, it's uh it's kind of the folk rock singer-songwriter uh, uh Americana style kind of music and I've been um uh playing a lot of shows this year, which kind of worked out, especially with this strike, with not a lot of acting work to be found. Um, I'm playing in Chicago next week. And then what venue? Uh, I'm playing at the G-Man Tavern. Cool. In Chicago, opening for my friend's band, Bandits on the Run. Um, that'll be really fun. And then I'm going to Asbury Park, New Jersey uh, to open for my other friend's uh, band there. And then we're, I'm playing a full band show in Asbury Park in August with my with my full rock band. So that'll be fun. Oh, wow. But, Jer- a big Jersey Shore summer for you. I do. I, I love the Jersey Shore. Me too. I, I go every year. I'd be going even if I wasn't playing. But yeah. it's fun to play some shows there. I've never been. Oh. You gotta go. It's so fun. Asbury's <laughs> an amazing town. I mean, there's just so much history. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge Springsteen fanatic. So the lore of that okay. is very, you know, the, the mythology of all that is very powerful to me. Damn. And you're bringing Delaware to them. I, there's two other people that are famous from Delaware. In my head. Oh yeah, Aubrey Plaza, and uh, Joe Biden, Joe Biden. <laughs> and now you, you're the, yeah. my third Delaware person. Oh, it's funny they did it. Um, like this was a couple of years ago, but that like you know Delaware Today or one of the local magazines did like a the top fifty famous people from Delaware or something. And uh, my dad called me and was like, "Well, you're in the twenties somewhere or something." <laughs> like I, I really didn't, I didn't stack up very high on the on the list. I was like, "Man, what's a guy got to do?" And <laughs> Delaware to, to get on the map, but it, it's a small, it's a small place. It really is. I mean, I've, I've known Aubrey since I was 14. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, we dated in high school. No she was my way. First Stop. That's it. This is an exclusive. Yeah. I've known her forever. She's a dear, dear friend. My, our families are close. That's so funny. Wow. Delaware is really small. <laughs> yeah. We met doing community theater together. Wow. 
She yeah. we, she and I were NBC pages together, like, before she started acting. Like, she was right before me, so we knew a bunch of, um, like, mutual people, and I would see her. We, I, my improv team used to open for her improv team. Oh, that's too <laughs> Back funny. Back in the day. So, like, Aubrey and Neil Casey and yes. I, we, we were all doing theater together in Delaware. Wait, Neil we... is from uh, Delaware? He is, yeah. He's my yeah. buddy. I mean, I know Neil well. Like, he was my teacher. We've Yeah, like, we, we used to hang out... I went to dinner at his house pre-pandemic, but you know, oh my gosh, I haven't yeah. seen him in a minute. I haven't seen him. In t- he just texted me the other day about something, but I haven't, I haven't seen him in such a long time. But you know, he, I mean, he took me to my first, he took me into New York city when I was 15 and to, and took me to my first, they might be giants concert because he was a diehard. Oh. They might be giants fan. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I know, I know all those guys from, from back in the day, but I remember when Aubrey had the page job, like I remember yeah. going, and she took my she took my family on the tour, and then she got a job as a page on Thirty Rock. Like they cast her as a, and that was one of her first acting gigs. And I was like, ooh, like good idea. But I it's never hilarious. got to make that happen. Um, do you have anything upcoming that you want to let us know about or plug specifically to our listeners? If anyone's in Asbury Park or coming. Um, well, uh, yeah, on August 12th, I'll be playing at the Stone Pony. Uh, that'll be, uh, I'm excited. I've never played there. I've played a couple venues in Asbury, but um, that's a storied and historic venue. So that'll be exciting. I'm looking for- uh, And then also, I think that, uh, I, I think I can say this now. I think it's about to get announced. Um, but in the fall, I'm going to um, Washington, D.C. to do... Um, my third musical with Michael Mayer, who directed me in Spring Awakening and American Idiot. Wow. Um, it's called Swept Away. It's about a shipwreck. Is it based on the bo- the movie? It's not. No, okay, not related to the movie, because that's like an overboard situation. Okay. Right, yes, totally. No, this is, um, uh, it's um, it's written by John Logan, who uh, who wrote Gladiator and um, and Red, the, the Pulitzer Prize winning play, and uh, uh, many other things, uh, a couple movies for Martin Scorsese. He's an amazing dramatist, and it's this uh, original musical featuring songs by the Avett Brothers. So it's all their music, um, but it's about uh, a whaling vessel in the late 1800s that gets sunk by a storm and then four survivors end up stuck on a lifeboat. But I'll be starring in that at Arena Stage in Washington, D.C. in November. Wow, um, huge. So, yeah, it's my first time back on stage on the East Coast in about six years. So I'm really excited wow. about that. Oh, so and cool. And then I'm thinking, I just feel like before I go, if there's any like any any SC, I know, any little tidbits. The two things I was thinking of, I was like, what are the things I want to say about my remember, like my experience at SC? I think I've, I've mostly touched on the main things. The one thing that I'll never forget about it was Chris and Mariska, like watching them work on that set is like, it, it is bananas because I've never seen two people that like had a, the only other person I could maybe say was like, I did some episodes of Westworld with Evan Rachel Wood and like her ability to kind of, drop into this you know this like robot character that she was playing was so stunning but watching chris and mariska like they were cracking jokes and they were laughing they were like hysterical in the corner together and then as soon as they roll sound and are about to 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 tl action they drop into that mode that we all watch every week and like the ease with which they can slide in and out of those intense characters was like a masterclass wow. where I was right. You don't have to be method 
to like sink so so deep into like the mode of of those characters they just knew those characters so well and i remember being totally uh totally blown away by that i liked his vibe cool guy check out his music he's allowed to promote his music and you're allowed to go see it go check out his music um, and you're allowed to go to broadway yeah. Go see the theater, guys. This is a, this is Broadway's time to shine now that there'll be nothing but Love Island Tucson going on or whatever on TV for a long time. Um, uh, what did we think about this episode? So many twists and turns. I mean... It's, I just, it's a classic. I mean, we talked about it up top. Like, it really is an episode that has stuck with me since I saw it. Like, B.D. Wong just lives in my brain with all his little science facts. Yes. And all his little hidden diseases. Yeah. But it is, like, oh, God. It reminds me of the, what episode is it where there's, like, this Italian guy who can't sleep? Is it beef? No, it's, um, it's, it's um, Bombshell. Bombshell, yeah. This guy where it's like only people from an island in Sicily have this disease yes, where they can't from sleep. from a small and like, Italian what? village of like 300 people get it and they only live like a year after they're diagnosed. Like, yeah, they just must scour the internet for like obscure diseases and things. But that's like what House does too. Did you ever watch House? No, but they show up in my YouTube shorts. A lot of House shows up in yeah, uh, House, little clips. House, the premise of House is that people are always lying to their doctor. Like, people will just come in and be like, I don't know what's going on. I suddenly am smacking myself nonstop or whatever. And then it always turns out that they lied to him about something and that what's really going on is that they're cheating. Like, I saw one where this girl had this disease and it turned out that a guy was coming up to, he was shimmying up a tree to see her at night, but they were lying about the relationship and he got a tick and the tick was like in her pubic hair. So she had some kind of like tick-borne illness that wasn't even Lyme that was making her so sick and the house had to like go under with tweezers and like take this tick out. But like that's at the very last minute of the show when she's coding and about to die because she didn't want to confess her affair. Like it's crazy. House is wild, but I did enjoy it. I like that guy. So it's just people lying. I mean, no, it's also like obscure medical things. And it's all, the, the point of the show is that House is like rogue and does whatever he wants. And he's like a genius, you know? But like, it's also like the bottom line a lot of the times is like, just fucking tell your doctor the truth. I know you're embarrassed. It's like what I said about my mother-in-law working at the ER. And it's like, oh, I slipped and fell. And a light bulb went up your ass? I don't believe that. <laughs> like, it's just, just such tell a the delicate truth. glass. Like, why are you putting it up there? I don't know. I think, I don't know. It's uh, it's horrible. Like if a light bulb breaks, my butt clenches up because of that sliver, those slivers of glass. You're like, get out of the way. Nobody step on it. Oh my God. Yeah, I've been finding glass in my apartment for, oh, I was about, yeah. I might need to borrow your uh, my Dyson slash your Dyson soon. <laughs> yes. My dirt devil is not doing a good job. Yes, for sure. You can. Or dustbuster, of course. You have a dirt devil. I have a dirt devil. So disgusting. But I also saw Spring Awakening on Broadway, and it's like, I just want to know if I saw the original cast or not, and I don't think I'll ever be able to know. I keep all my playbills. I know. I actually just got rid of my most recent ones, too. Like, I just, I don't know. It's it's hoarding. I don't know why I do it. It's like they're all in a trunk that I haven't opened in truly 10 years. Um, yeah, it's fine. It's, aren't you, oh, yeah, you're seeing Titanic. Or I'm only Broadway. Titanic. 
playbills Actually, or every playbill. Actually, as of the release of this, as of the release of this, I will have seen Titanic. So I will review it in a couple of weeks on the podcast when we're back from our little break. We're in the time machine super big now because we're taking a little break for August so we can go on a little summer vacation because don't we deserve it? Yeah, we're like New York therapists. We need to get August <laughs> off. We're, we're Italian like, people. Yeah, I was about to say, we're totally Paris and we're shut down. What we learned from this episode is don't let your kids put things in their mouth and if they're putting Wait, too many Kara, things in their mouth, they might have pica. I know what I want for my birthday. What? I want an edible pencil and then I want to bite into <laughs> it like he did on the stamp. <laughs> Okay, uh, it is, today is August 22 that this is coming out, but we're recording it earlier, so I have approximately three or four weeks to find you an edible pencil. Okay, okay, I'm gonna and get online. And then we have to go ready. rent, and then you have to rent out a courthouse, and then I'm gonna <laughs> sit on the stand and bite into the pencil. And I have to instruct everybody that I've hired to be extras to not react at all. <laughs> Well, I just Googled edible pencils and I do not like what I'm finding. Okay, <laughs> let's move on, guys. Let's get to our What Would Sister Peg Do? This That's our weekly segment where we direct you to more information about what we covered in today's episode, be it a documentary, an article, a charitable organization, etc. And this week, we, are like, we would like to point you to an article on the World Health Organization's website about the health effects that lead poisoning can have on children. As we learned in this episode, at high levels of exposure, lead attacks the brain and central nervous system. It can cause coma, convulsions, even death. Children who survive severe lead poisoning may be left with intellectual disability and behavioral disorders. So this article showcases some of the main routes for exposure to lead poisoning. And for more info, you can check out the link. We always put it in our show notes, and it will be on our Instagram stories the day that this episode releases and saved forever in our WWSPD highlight on our Instagram page. Thank you so much for doing that. And next, we will be watching... Why do I sound like a robot? All right. Next, I'm fun. I'm a fun girl. I'm not a robot. All right. Next week, we'll be doing the episode Totem, season 12, episode 20. Get into it, baby. Boom. Boom goes the dynamite. We're obsessed with all of you. See you next week. Hopefully, we weren't <laughs> too wild. Or we were. <laughs> I don't know what we that always are. Bye, guys. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmessedappod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmessedappod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun, dun! dun. <laughs> Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.